Hang on, people. Gotta give my damn computer charger. Hang on. Hang on. You know, whenever you begin a day with uh, the words, damn computer charger, you know things are going to go sideways on you. Good morning, and good morning, you bunch of drunks. Haven't heard that in a while, have we now? You know, that's one of the things that we're doing in terms of getting back into it. By the time the end of summer rolls around, as we kind of uh, retool Radio Free Almond 2.0 is I'm going to be recovering all of my stingers and stuff like that. Like, Obama! You know, that kind of thing. Oh, yeah, that guy. You didn't build that. Somebody else made that happen. That kind of thing. You know, stop calling me dude. All that stuff. I got to recover all that. I, I couldn't take it with me. I couldn't take the computer with me. They locked that. They locked me out of that place fast. Well, they didn't really lock me out. I never tried to go back. It's kind of weird. That whole that whole uh, way that whole thing went down was kind of weird. It was uh, well, you know what happened. It, to, and I, but I will. So I'm going to recover that, and we're going to ultimately then get a. Um, New, we're going to have a, a new studio. It's going to kind of look like this, but it's just going to be a new studio, and it'll be the Radio Free Alma Network Headquarters. <laughs> Network Headquarters Center. Yeah. I'm going to cool down this coffee. You know, one of the things I kind of figure out is, you know, this coffee is like I got it from the, from the uh, convenience store, you know, and I never understood why coffee, why does coffee have to, like, does anybody really want their coffee just burning friggin' hot? I mean, seriously, like, do you, does it have to be a thousand degrees? Anyway, so we're going to retool. We're going to get everything back together again. And one of the things we're going to be doing is getting back the, uh, getting back the stingers and things like that. So we're going to recover that. And that's how we're going to roll. And then we're going to have our phones open and everything else. And by the way, right before I went on, I downloaded Skype on the computer. And I, thought I was pretty proud of myself, considering, because I got Jimmy Hoff, the Gateway Pundit, going to be joining us, as well as Doug Giles, just a little later on, at about 8.30 or so. So that, that ought to be a uh, blast as well. Haven't talked to Doug. I, I think I missed him last week. Or maybe, yeah, maybe he, I think it was, a, it was a kind of an odd week or whatever. So... Going to have him back on uh, with me as well. That's going to be around 8.30 or so. And in the meantime, I got my Facebook up. You guys can chime in all you want. And that's going to be part of the uh, Radio Free Almond 2.0 is when we kind of do that towards the end of the summer and get everything back together again. And, yeah, you like this shirt? I don't think many people get it, though. Thank you, Father Tom. I uh, Because I, I think they – I don't know what they think it is, but you know, it's, a, it's a pinata and – it says I'd hit that, but you know what I mean. And then, but I don't know even know whether people really remember the I'd hit that thing yet. I, I don't know whether they still remember that as a thing. 
but it's not really something. <laughs> One time I wore this, and it, it was not uh, – I, I wore it like at some kind of – church event or some highly inappropriate like i shouldn't be wearing a shirt that say i'd hit that like around 70 year old 75 year old ladies from church some picnic or something like that and i just i realized i had this shirt on my i'd hit that shirt on at the women's club picnic <laughs> that's me mr inappropriate good morning this morning everybody yeah, and so I downloaded the app thing, and I was like, this is pretty crazy. Like, I'm, I'm downloading the app while the theme is playing. And it harkens me back to the days when I was a, or I still am kind of, but a commercial savant. Because you all know I grew up, essentially, that's, I, I don't know, I'm, I'm kind of like the Chauncey Gardner of commercials. I just can repeat to you every commercial that ever was ever made, and the remember the commercial where they had the the oven cleaning person and i guess it was like some kind of spray this could not have been very good for the the household uh and tim would you tim's asking me would you hit it i go yeah yeah i'd hit that i would man definitely definitely just between you and me yeah i'd hit that for sure but no uh, it was the cleaning the oven cleaner stuff and so there was just the mom or the housewife would be walking around doing something else. And she'd say, I'm cleaning my oven. You know, remember those? When she, she'd walk around and, and be at the store or talk to somebody else or I, I don't know. And then while she's doing that, she's telling them, I'm, I'm, hi, I'm cleaning my oven. And that was supposed to be kind of the joke. Well, she was cleaning her oven because she sprayed the spray in the I remember this 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 stuff and you'd have the um yeah, at least the, the the movie being there. If you haven't seen the movie being there, I definitely would check it out. Uh Peter Sellers, it's a it's a great movie. It's about this guy who who just all he did was kind of watch TV and so everything about his life was built around TV themes, and that's all he knew. That's all he knew how to kind of apply to his life were things from TV. It was pretty pretty interesting. It was pretty crazy. I don't really recount the exact part of it. It makes me want to go back and, and look at it again, but it was really, really good. So anyway, yeah, the I'm cleaning my oven stuff. But, but by the way, that stuff, whatever that foam stuff is, because I remember my mom using it, and she'd spray it in the oven, and I guess you you should have more ventilation or something, but whatever that stuff was, it didn't seem very healthy to have to be breathing in and have in your in your house. It just didn't seem very because you'd spray it and then you'd hear, hear this, and it was this. I guess it was whatever it was taking the stuff off of the oven, the the grease and everything off of the oven. But it was some kind of chemical that didn't seem – that kind of hurt your lungs. And I was like, I wonder if that stuff is still around. Now they have self-cleaning ovens, which I still don't understand those, those either. Anyway, you see that the Statue of Liberty climber, her name is Therese Okuomo. And apparently, if you listen to what she said about being on the Statue of Liberty, apparently Michelle Obama is still speaking to all of her minions from her spaceship because – this woman is the quintessential Michelle Obama whispered to lady. 
And she's wearing a T-shirt outside of court that says white supremacy is terrorism, which is charming, by the way. And her name is Teresa Patricia Okuomo, who's facing misdemeanor charges now for climbing the Statue of Liberty to protest the Trump administration's immigration policies. And, of course, she was uh, met with cheers and applause out there in the Manhattan courtroom. But this is her waxing poetically about the, the, the amazing influences on her life. She looks like she's about 25 or 30. I, I can't tell. I want to thank Wise and Resist for their dedication in the work that they do. For their support for equality and social justice. It doesn't sound like she's from the United States, does she? Which isn't a bad thing. Not that there's anything wrong with that. But if you're protesting the Trump administration's immigration policies and you're standing there speaking in your whatever dialect that is, it indicates that you're here. And it indicates that you're living here. And... She's apparently a legal immigrant. So it appears our immigration policies are just fine. Thank you very much for Patricia, for Therese Patricia Okuomo. Don't you think? I mean, if you're standing there and you're speaking in a language that clearly is not the language of the United States, for instance, you clearly were not born here. You immigrated here. Unless she's an illegal alien and speaking for all illegal aliens – it looks like the system worked pretty well for her. I mean, how else can you be? Is Oklahoma, it sounds like it's, you know, if I make a mistake here, people are going to think I'm racist, but it, it kind of sounds like it's Africa to me. But you have, uh, uh, she's from the Congo. Okay. Thank you, Lise. So she's from the Congo, which would make her Congolese. Congolese American. And she came over here, and clearly there's no indication that she's a, she's a person that is here illegally. So look at the kinds of beautiful freedoms that she has in the United States to come all the way from the Congo only to wear a T-shirt that says white supremacy is terrorism. I think there are a few white people who probably helped her get here. I, I'm, I'm trying to figure out what kind of ingrate comes here from the Congo and then becomes part of the resistance. What, what kind of problems has she had in the United States? She seems to be pretty well taken care of. She's got a lawyer. She's got a movement behind her. And she can wear T-shirts that say white supremacy is terror. I mean, that's pretty much sounds like a gift to me. And apparently, Michelle Obama whispers to her in her sleep. As you know by now, I am from the Republic of Congo. Oh, I could have waited and just found out, couldn't I? Never mind. I came in this country in 1994. Yeah, good for her. And I don't think she's combed her hair since. I also United States Park Police. Michelle Obama. This. <laughs> I imagine Michelle Obama sitting there going, "Oh, please, don't do this." I'm trying to, I'm trying to hide with my husband from 
all of the deep state allegations and everything else. Don't bring my name up again, please. Our beloved first lady that I care so much about said, when they go low, we go high. And I went as high as I could. <laughs> Trump has wrecked this country apart. It is depressing. It is outrageous. Um, you're depressed, are you? You mean you're, you're, you came here f- from the Congo, which is a crap hole, by the way. I mean, I've never actually been there, but I've seen pictures. And I think the Congo is where they're wearing, you know, Britney Spears concert T-shirts and hacking each other to death, throwing burning tires over each other's necks. I, they don't get along too well over in the Congo. You want to talk about depressing? Why don't we send Therese back to the Congo and see how depressed she can be there, and, and, and see how and see how she, her fellow Congolese individuals have time or what they're thinking about enough to put on a white supremacy is terrorism T-shirt and complain about their situation over there. Most of them don't even have clean drinking water and are living amongst their own squalor and their own feces and worried about whether or not somebody's going to come pop it into their church or their their house and hack them to death because they, they're not from the same tribe or I, who knows. But I, knew, I do know that Teresa is really lucky to be in the United States. And the idea that somehow she's now part of the resistance is pretty unbelievable. And it seems to me like she's been treated just fine because she's here. So what, what, what immigration policies is she so concerned about? In fact, the number of immigrants that have come to this country has only dramatically increased since 1994. Our doors have opened wide. In fact, we had a huge influx after the Bosnian War. We remember that we had Bosnians and Serbs coming over here right around that time, 1994, when she was coming here, when she came here from the Congo, she says, 1994. We had a huge influx of people from there. And since that time, we've had a, a dramatic number of people coming to this country. In fact, I don't think since the 20s when we had an influx of Italian immigrants mainly – Although the Germans came earlier, and uh, but the Italians came, a lot of them came in the 20s. And then you had a pretty huge number of people from some of the Eastern Bloc countries who came over here in the 50s. So you had some immigration there. But after 1994, the doors of our country just flung wide open. To where we had so many great individuals who came here from other countries looking for opportunity. They weren't even fleeing anything. They were just looking for an economic opportunity. We were more than happy to give that to them. We, they were, we were more than happy to, to help them out. We were more than happy to be, well, typically American in opening our doors, making things happen for them. We also had a huge influx of illegal immigration. I understand that. But when it comes to the American generosity and the American spirit, when it comes to actually 
utilizing what's on the Statue of Liberty. She, she climbed and defaced by being up there. Uh, we were more than open and generous with our country. So I'm not quite sure what she's talking about. The fact that the president now wants to simply clamp down on illegal immigration seems to me to be not a whole hell of a lot to ask. And I'm not quite sure what she's complaining about other than the fact that she's just angry that Obozo and his wife aren't in the White House anymore and there's a white dude in there because she apparently has some issue with white people. I can say a lot of things about this monster. But I will stop at this. Yeah, because I dare you to go to the Congo and talk to whatever dude is running the Congo and call him a monster and see how long you last. See how long before your head is on some kind of pike someplace in some uh, disgusting river in the Congo that's filled with floating bloated cows that have drowned or whatever it is over there. It's pretty bad over there in the Congo. His draconian zero-tolerance policy on immigration has to go. You know what's great? What's, a, what's really amazing about this whole story about this woman from the Congo who now has grown into a member of the resistance is that everything she is doing is emblematic of how amazing and wonderful this country is. Isn't that odd? Here's a woman who is jacked up on the Michelle Obama climb high speech or whatever it was she did. So she comes over from the Congo, from, from a, from a hellhole like the Congo. I wish I could use, I actually could probably use the president's terminology, but uh, people ask me if I would cuss since now I'm on stream and on internet radio and everything else. I said, well, there's no need to. I've been, I've been on the radio 17 years Without cussing, <clears throat> there's no reason for me to cuss now. So anyway, but you know what kind of a hole the Congo is. But what's amazing is she comes over here from the Congo, 1994, flees. At that, at that time in that part of Africa, my goodness gracious, it was so horrible. But you know what's going on. And I'm sure came over here uh, pr- probably as a little girl. It looks like by her age, she, she's... Maybe she, maybe she's in her 30s. I don't know how old she is. Maybe you guys kind of know from all of your research out there because you guys kind of know that stuff. But she comes over here, and she obviously has means. She obviously has a home. She obviously has a a life. She probably has a job. She certainly has enough resources to get her to Liberty Island there. And I think they called it Battery Park, but I guess it's Liberty Island now. Oh, by the way, well, we'll talk about this later. Speaking of parks, do you see what happened with the uh, all the Whitey McWhitingtons ribbon cutting out in the arts grounds? Oh, boy, has that turned into a debacle here in the city of St. Louis. Man, any chance that the city of St. Louis is ever going to propel from being a cow town to actually something that we can all be proud of? Uh, this is this was a debacle by any stretch of the imagination. Now we have the black version of a ribbon, ribbon cutting. That's that's how far we've come in the city of St. Louis. Now we have to have a white version of the ribbon cutting and now the black version of the ribbon cutting. 
unbelievable. We're the laughing stock of this nation, the way that all thing worked out. But I'll get to that in a second. So here's a woman, though, who came over from the Congo, certainly has resources. She certainly has the time. She certainly has a vacation day on the 4th of July or whatever it is. She certainly has food that energizes her to become the climber that she became. She certainly has looks like a pretty good life with the exception, again, of not having a comb. That's the only thing she's missing is something that she could comb her hair with. But anyway, that's pretty much looks like she can she has she she has the luxury of being able to wear a t-shirt in this country that says white supremacy is terrorism. Without anybody getting in her face or throwing a soda at her at the Whataburger or shouting her down or doing whatever, she seemingly has the run of the place here in the United States of America. But we got to listen to her bitch about our president, call him a monster, bitch about our country, bitch about white people. Seems to me that she's got it pretty much made here in this country. To have, and of course, no one would dare get in her face about it because she's black, and then we would all be called racists or whatever. So she's got it pretty, pretty good here. She's got a lawyer. She's got a bunch of people clapping for her. She's got a bunch of microphones in front of her, and now she's the new, uh, cult, she's the new Rosa Parks for the resistance. It's unbelievable, but she's utilizing every aspect of what's great about this country to do what she's doing right now, which is the irony above all ironies, which is the amazing part of this whole story is that she is basically living the American dream while telling us our president is a monster. While telling us our president is a monster for trying to allow others to live the American dream legally. Man, what a country, huh? And what an ingrate Teresa Obozo is. In the democracy. I mean, she, and she, she's ha, she has it made. I was on the strategic force. Don't don't let anybody tell you that she's some kind of hero when she is taking everything that's great about this country and. First of all, throwing it away, shoving it in our face, and telling us we're still not good enough. And telling white people that we're still oppressing her, even though many of these people are cheering her and everything else and helping her out and lauding her. I just think that's amazing. And I'm not really angry about it. I'm just confounded by it. I'm just amazed that somebody could actually get to the point where this doesn't, it doesn't occur to them how silly this looks and how, how amazing this, this looks. Well, I, 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 Margaret, I didn't call her Rosa Parks. I was, I was claiming that they were trying to make her into one. I didn't say she was just like Rosa Parks, but still, you know, that, that's, that's the problem we have here is we have people who can come over here, tap every little tiny little bit out of our our country, take every little advantage you possibly can from our country, and then turn it around and throw it in our face in this fashion. And why she had to use the whole white people are... <laughs> 
white supremacy is terrorism. I don't understand that because President Trump, in exercising his immigration powers in terms of to control who comes in to this country, that's not white supremacy. If, if that was white supremacy, then President Obama, who often was called the deporter-in-chief, how does he account or she account for that? How does she account for the fact that a black dude deported more people than the white dude before him? How is, is that white supremacy or is it just white supremacy when it's a white guy trying to get a handle on illegal immigration and trying to get a handle on our laws? And when it's a black guy, it's just, oh, I love your wife, Michelle. She told me to go up onto the Statue of Liberty. I, I don't understand it. Maybe somebody can, can figure this out. But, boy, she's got it made right there, and she apparently still isn't satisfied. And so all I'm telling the left and to others, I'm giving you guys free advice. And <laughs> Margaret says, let's, let's take a collection and have her go back to the Congo. Really? Because apparently she's miserable here, right, Margaret? Apparently, if she, apparently it's gotten – I mean, you don't see even – Black people born in this country wearing T-shirts that say white supremacy is terrorism. They're too busy going to work and paying their bills and trying to live like every other American out there. But yeah, sure. Apparently she's not happy here. She's bummed out. She's only been here since 1994. It's not really a terribly long time. But there's still time enough for her to just call her American citizenship an experiment and go back to the Congo. She can just say, well, you know, I tried and I went to the United States of America when, they, when she's back in the Congo. She can explain this to everybody. I tried. I went back to, the, uh, to America and I found that there was a lot of white supremacy and there's a lot of limitations on immigration. And then the Congo people are like, Limitations on immigration? Can you? What? I thought you immigrated to. Yeah, but there's other limitations on other people coming here. That was my. And they're like Congo Congo people are like, okay, now I get it. I understand, dear. And so apparently she can still just call this her experimental phase. She could just say, oh, I had a. I had a wild hair when I was a young woman and decided to go to the United States of America. What I found in the United States of America, well, I did find a nice black. First Lady, she was pretty cool. But for the most part, they have a monster who's the president, and white people have apparently b bothered her so much that she has her T-shirt on, and she doesn't seem very happy. So maybe there's still time to go back and enjoy all the wonderment of the Congo and, and appreciate that because I got to tell you, this is why Americans get so upset about things this is why black americans white americans who are working day in and day out to support their families struggling and who struggled under obozo's administration only to have women like this go out there climb the statue of liberty cause a bunch of crap condemn the united states uh, Talk about whites being oppressed, oppressive and white supremacy this and call the president a monster. And we've got to listen to her tell us how bad our country is as we as many of us out there 
struggle to make a living and struggle just to make ends meet, struggle to get out there every day, wake up in the morning, get in the car, go do some sales, go do this, go do that. And we've got to listen to this. Well, technically, you don't have to. I kind of forced you to because I played it for you, but only for expository purposes to, to, to explain to you there's so much more to this story that isn't being told. And yet the news media and others, when they see this woman speak, they're like, oh, yeah, okay, yeah, she's from the Congo. She's bashing immigration, and she's unhappy. And they're like, what part of that story don't you understand in terms of how crazy it is for us to be putting up with with this and and why we get so upset. And I got I have to tell you, it's why a lot of people who otherwise might sympathize with somebody's story or might sympathize with a person who is here illegally, but we think it might be because they were fleeing this or fleeing that. It's why so many people tend to turn a deaf ear to this. And when when Nancy Pelosi and Maxine Waters put their stinky perfume over all of this these issues, a lot of us tend to back away. We just turn off. Where otherwise we actually might listen to the concerns of certain people. But at some point you're just like, okay, well, listen, if it's coming out of Maxine Waters' mouth, it can't be that credible. And you just forget about it. It's kind of also why – you know, and I remember when Austin Peterson was in, and we uh, also have uh, a lot of other uh, issues that we've been talking about about this. It's it's why we have very few solutions in this country now, because we have so many people, mostly on the left, who have attached themselves to issues that otherwise even some conservatives might kind of say, oh, yeah, I get it. I can understand why you're concerned about this illegal immigration thing. I can understand why this might not work and this might work better. I get that. But instead, it's zero to racist in 60 seconds. And that's what I think drives a lot of people crazy. That's where why we get to this point where we're like, we turn off. We don't pay attention to it anymore. We're just not there anymore for you. And I think that that's actually harmful to a lot of people who otherwise we might be able to uh, be able to embrace. But there are no apologies to make in the wake of Teresa's Therese from the Congo's little speech to us. Uh, the only takeaway from it is that we've got just another person who's here in this country who's basically utilizing every beautiful aspect of our country in terms of its freedom and then turning it against us. And it tends to drive us just a little nuts. Ladies and gentlemen, perfect time. Without further ado, our national anthem. This is Radio Free Allman live from the Discovery Design Studio. Check it out on the web, Discovery Design Inc. For all of your truck building, hauling needs, everything else, they got it for you. If you're one of those people out there working hard to build homes, working hard to move concrete, working hard to haul, working hard to do whatever it is you do with a truck, Discovery Design is going to help you out with that. DiscoveryDesignInc.com.
like sugar hi everybody good morning this morning uh, live from the discovery design studio just hanging out just hanging out have a little fun checking out Therese from the Congo telling us how terrible our country is and climbing the Statue of Liberty as she enjoys her status as a brand new American basically 1994 it sounds pretty Brand new to me. Lots of uh, confounding things, including this mess around the arch. Did you did you see what happened the other day when there was a ribbon cutting ceremony and it was to open up the new arch grounds? And you saw these pictures. And this is where I can, I think I'm. I think I can pretty much safely take the side of some of the black folk out there who looked at this scene and didn't see one black face cutting the ribbon there. It looked like basically just a bunch of old white people, which there's nothing wrong with old white people (laughs) being one of them. I wouldn't want to disparage myself. I'm an old white dude, right? But it just didn't seem optically, it didn't seem right. It didn't seem like, especially when you saw all the people who were taking the pictures, you know, and there were a bunch of, there were a bunch of black people like taking pictures of the event. Presumably citizens of the city of St. Louis too, who were proud of of what's going on there. And, and actually, it was interesting because what I did was I looked at the I looked at the photo and then it wasn't long after that that I saw Representative Bruce Franks, who a lot of you might, you know, kind of have have issues with, and, and I would understand that. Bruce, uh, I actually, in, a, in an odd kind of way, and, and, I, and I'm not um, ashamed of this, I, I kind of helped him uh, get elected because I was very interested in his candidacy at the time, even though he and I politically didn't uh, agree. 
I was very impressed with his energy and his outsider status there in an area that heretofore was essentially basically owned by the Hubbard family. And so much like you have a situation where you have the swamp with the Republican Party and with the Democrats, you have a similar kind of thing. Like if you're a person out there of liberal leanings and those kinds of things, people like Chuck Schumer and Nancy Pelosi are like your Mitch McConnell's and maybe even Paul Ryan. But although I give Paul Ryan a little more of a break uh, because I think sometimes he does some pretty good things and and, and I I appreciate him. I'm not really one of those anti-Paul Ryan guys. But you guys know what I'm talking about. You have that establishment. It's kind of like – the, the the in in Missouri politics the Carnahan family, like they just basically own seats and regenerated here and there in their particular places. And every time you turn around, there was another Carnahan running for something. And the Hubbard family was uh, was similar, and they were down in a certain district in St. Louis that was mixed. Uh, predominantly black, but it was it was also mixed, and a lot of young people down there moving in. I think it's it's more it's mostly in that kind of downtowny area that that district is kind of like covers residential and businesses uh, in that in that area. I think it's more like uh, around um, the Soulardy. I, I I'm pretty sure I'm trying to figure out exactly where that district. is. Is But nonetheless, it's mixed. It's younger. There are a lot of younger people moving into the district. And the Hubbard family kind of essentially had overstayed their welcome. So when Bruce Franks came along, uh, by the way, I think he was – his nephew was an individual who was shot to death as an 11-year-old boy. So he'd been through the ringer in terms of experiencing crime firsthand and had – some knowledge, but he was also uh, uh, a very passionate young guy. He was liberal. I didn't really agree with him on a lot of different things, but he seemed willing to work with Republicans. And he didn't just, he didn't seem like this establishment Democrat, which I appreciated. So I almost actually helped Bruce Franks in an odd kind of way get elected. I had him on the show quite a bit. I, I helped him when he wanted this. Uh, investigation of the balloting that was going on down there. And I, uh, you know, in, in fact, Brother Bob, his nephew, Rashid Aldridge, Rasheen Aldridge, ran for a committee post down there. Brother Bob's nephew, Rasheen, I helped him too. So I was trying to kind of help some of these young blood people get elected down there. And, 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 it was more than my pleasure. I had a forum there with the Almond Report. I didn't have Bruce Franks Jr. much on the on the radio show because it, I, we didn't really much have time, and it was kind of a different different audience and different reach. It was you know kinds of explanations for it. So Bruce Franks though wound up being kind of semi radical down there in Jefferson City confronted Greitens and did those kinds of things, but he was just being a, a passionate guy. I didn't, again, never really agreed with much of what he stood for, but 
like a normal average everyday person, I think conservatives would do well to kind of do this too. We appreciated passion when we see it. I wouldn't vote for him, but I still didn't mind helping him because I understood what it was like to fight the establishment, having been in that circle myself and, and, and what we do every day, fighting the establishment and, and keeping things from being thrown down our throats the way they have been. This whole committee thing with the state committee has been crazy. I'm going to have more on that for you in just a little bit. We had that. We had Ben and Jennifer in yesterday, and I hope you guys enjoyed that. Apparently, a lot of you did, so we appreciate that. So anyway, I helped Bruce Franks Jr. get elected. I'm proud to say. So anyway, he tweets out the other day that he was surprised to see how there was not one black face at the ribbon cutting ceremony. Of course, I don't know, you guys. I'm all, I'm all for you know ribbon cuttings, but. That picture, even the very fact that somebody stands there, all these people stand there, and there's like a big, there's a ribbon, and there's a, there's a, like a big pair of scissors or something. I'm like, what is this, 1952? I mean, is it, has anybody, by the way, ever come up with a, a new version of a ribbon cutting? Haven't we, are we creative enough to have like a new version of a ribbon cutting? Do we still have to see, all these uncomfortable, stodgy old people standing up there with a big pair of scissors, and I love the I love the ones too where they have the uh, the hard hats and the shovel. That one too. Like no one seemingly has come up with another way to convey that we're here. It's opening. Whatever. I just find that kind of funny. So Bruce Franks Jr. tweets out the other day that he was surprised to see that there was not one black face at the ribbon cutting. And the one thing we haven't been able to establish is that Congressman Clay, apparently he was invited to be there, but I, I don't know why he wasn't there. I, I don't know why he wasn't there, and I'm still trying to figure out what uh, – I don't get at least – I don't get those giant scissors either. I just that, – that's the one thing. Although I don't have time to do this, and neither do all of you, but maybe – we could, when we, on our vacations or when we're sitting on the beach or doing whatever we're doing, maybe we can start to ponder different ways to convey the ribbon cutting thing and just do something different. You think of, after, you think after all that, after all that money spent, that you'd have something more interesting than a bunch of old white people with a big pair of scissors and a ribbon opening up the new Arch Park. Don't know. Anyway, so Bruce Franks Jr. tweets out that he was surprised to see that there was not one black face in the ribbon cutting line. Now, I don't know whether Lacey K did, Clay didn't show up for a reason. I have no idea. But I tweeted back to him and I say, I said, Bruce, you're really surprised by this in the city of St. Louis? And I kind of turned it into a white liberal thing because – Really, in the end, when you get right down to it, it's interesting in a city as diverse as this is, the leadership and the people who run this city and who run the politics in this city and who basically have the power in this city really are white liberals. The Lida Krusen gang, 
the people who are developers in the city of St. Louis, the people who own buildings, the people who are uh, running the show, they are white liberals. Some of them not even from the city of St. Louis, and I understand that. I mean, this is a town, after all, where the black newspaper, the editor, the person who runs the black newspaper is a white liberal. Did you know that? This Chris King jerk who is the editor, I think he might. St- I think he's still the editor of the St. Louis American. They couldn't even find a black dude to run the black newspaper in the city of St. Louis. Although the St. Louis American goes everywhere, but the St. Louis American is a uh, well-known, prestigious, well, I don't know whether it's prestigious or not, but it's, it's, the, it's the black newspaper of record. And they couldn't find a black dude or a black woman to be editor of the newspaper, so they had to grab some white, puffy, hipster-esque liberal named Chris King, who, by the way, in the aftermath of everything, one time claimed that I had invited him on the show to talk to him, and he refused because he knew I was terrible, blah, blah, I never, I never invited the guy, Chris King, onto my show, TV, radio, or otherwise. Not one time did I ever invite that dude on my show. But anyway, so why is it so surprising that when it came time to actually do a ribbon cutting, it just fell right back into the hands of a bunch of white people to do it. And so I told Bruce Frank, I said, I said, dude, this city, you guys, I know you guys have your aldermanic spaces and I know you're a state rep and everything else, but the real power in this city rests with the white liberals. And even when, Blacks have the opportunity to actually empower themselves like they did at the St. Louis American. They hire some white liberal guy to do it. I'm not trying to play identity politics here, but you'd think that it's not like it's racist for a black newspaper to have a black editor. You'd think actually you would want that because let's face it, black people don't white people don't sometimes understand the kinds of issues that black people are trying to convey sometimes. And if you have a black newspaper, you'd think you'd want black people to run the the paper. Why would you, why would you hand it over to whitey? doesn't make any sense to me, but, but that's the kind of situation we have where even you have the old school blacks oftentimes will just simply, uh, relinquish their power to the white lefties. That's just the truth of the matter. So now it turns out there's going to be a do-over of the all-white photo at the Gateway Arts Museum dedication, and it's going to uh, be all black. I mean, folks, this is one of the problems with the city of St. Louis and why we can never get over that hump, why we can never get past this post-Civil War era, post-Reconstruction segregated city that we have right now. I mean, here, here's the story Channel 5 did on to it. learn more. Now to more breaking news, a police chase involving a stolen car. Oh, this all started here, hold on, let me just redo County. this. As you can it's see Kate Quinn. Scott. I like Kate Quinn. 
I always liked her. She's always been kind of classy. Kay Quinn has. Here you go. Some are calling it another wake-up call for St. Louis. The fact that there were no people of color in a long line of dignitaries cutting a ribbon at the grand opening of the museum at the Gateway Arch. <laughs> I mean, this is, it, you, you can't get any more hapless than this. And again, I'm, I'm not one of these color-coded affirmative action people, or I'm not one of these individuals who... Uh, you, you must have a token here and a token there and a token there. But even those of us who resist this ridiculous notion that there has to be this person there, or there has to be some representation here, find this to be pretty crazy. And sometimes white people are pretty stupid. Like this, this would have been an easy thing for you to do to get a few you know, more of a representation with the city of St. Louis. Like, let's put it this way. The city of St. Louis is probably predominantly, it's probably 60%, 65% black. And you're down there at the arch and you're in the city of St. Louis. The, the one black congressman who represents that district isn't even there. I don't know why he didn't show up. Maybe it was on purpose. Who knows? And then the rest people are all just white people. And obviously, it's a federally funded park, so there are federal politicians involved, and some of those federal politicians are white. Ann Wagner was there. Roy Blunt was there. So I, so I, 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 I get all that part of it, but you'd think that if, if anything, if you were going to open up this thing, that you would actually create some kind of scene or some kind of picture that would be more representative of the city of St. Louis. It's just optics. It's just marketing. It's public relations. It's not really that hard to do. But they didn't do it. And now now what we're, now what do we have? Tuesday. Many are sounding off on social media with the hashtag Arch so white trending. <laughs> the Gateway Arch Park Foundation issued an apology, acknowledging the ribbon cutting didn't reflect the diversity of our community. Then this morning, where do you buy big scissors by the way? I I've never even seen a I've never even seen them at a store or anything. Where in the hell do you get a big pair of scissors for these things? Like, who, like somebody is tasked with ordering the big pair of scissors for the for the ribbon cutting. Some, that, that's somebody's job to order the big pair of scissors for the ribbon cutting. Where do they get those? Maybe while I'm on the break here waiting to get Jimmy Hoft on, I'll Google big pair of scissors and find out where I can find them. Members of several African-American community groups announced they will hold a re-ribbon cutting tomorrow to re-image the occasion, saying you can't have an event of this magnitude without black representation. They plan to gather between the legs of the arch at noon to cut the ribbon again. <laughs> this is unbelievable. This is so embarrassing. This is so embarrassing for the city of St. Louis. Folks, please don't tell anybody this is happening. That because there were too many white people cutting the ribbon on the arch grounds, they now have to do one where they're all black. Now, by the way, I want to ask, are they going to actually uh, loan the big pair of scissors to the black folk there? Or did the black folk have to go and buy their own big pair of scissors? Nah, I don't know. 
What if they're going to just simply use the same ones? The organizers emphasizing everyone is invited, even if some people were left out of the ribbon cutting the first time. Yeah, well, and you know, by the way, somebody of some means should be able to find out, and I will. I, I asked Bruce Franks and the gang where Clay was. I don't know why he didn't show up. And, and, and that's a question for Lacey Clay on the 4th of July or whatever happens to be uh, this week is, okay, so you're the, you're the, you are a black representative of this district and you are a congressman. And why didn't the only black representative from that area not show up if black representation was so important? So now it wouldn't surprise me if Bruce Franks Jr. was critical of Lacey Clay. Bruce Franks Jr. doesn't mind speaking up and talking to and being critical of not only his own party but his own race. So I would think that is the first question some black people ought to be asking is why their black representative – the black representative of that district where the arts grounds happened to be, why he didn't show up. Maybe they should be asking that question of Lacey Clay. Once we find out that, then we can figure out what's going on. But let's let's face it. It's not all the white people's fault that there wasn't a black face at the ribbon cutting. In fact, the one black person who was invited didn't show up. Figure that one out. We know that St. Louis has a high minority population. We know that St. Louis has a high uh, minority pro- uh, population in leadership, in business, and civic organization, and also grassroots organizing as well. So I'm not quite sure if it was intentional or if it was non-intentional neither, which is another reason why we decided to do this tomorrow to make <laughs> it intentional to make sure that the diversity of St. Louis was represented. Well, and you can, you can hardly blame these guys. But again, it goes back to a couple of things. First of all, it goes back to the idea that maybe ribbon cuttings are kind of boring, old, and stodgy as it were. Because what, the only people they invite to ribbon cuttings are the are politicians anyway, or constructors, or builders, or you know, or some representative of some industry or whatever. So you had the governor there, you had the mayor there, you had the Congress people there, with the exception of Lacey Clay, and so maybe. If St. Louis wants to be kind of uptown and creative, how come no one thought of maybe doing some other kind of ceremony to open up the arts grounds other than some ribbon cutting that looked like it was straight out of 1953? I mean, why not just come up with a new idea, a new brand, a new way to convey, hey, it's open, instead of resorting back to, you know, the days of Eisenhower to to do a ribbon cutting. Maybe that was the problem to begin with. And by the way, it, they had a long time to plan this. They had they had a long time to think about this. They knew when this was going to open and when everything was going to be taking place. I, I can't quite figure out why all of this kind of uh, cut everybody uh, caught everybody by surprise. But that's where we at right now. This is St. Louis for you. We have a white people ribbon cutting and a black people ribbon cutting tells you everything you need to know about the weirdness of St. Louis.
In fact, I'm sure when a lot of you travel, have you noticed that even in the South, many of the cities in the South are highly integrated? And the South, of course, has the reputation as being the place where, you know, the Confederates were and blah, 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 slavery and all that kind of thing. But you go down to some cities in Alabama and it's white people and black people at the Applebee's together. At the Chili's, white people and black people sitting at the bar having drinks together. Uh, but here in, in St. Louis, you'd never see that. You've got the black bars and you've got the white bars. You've got the black ribbon cuttings and the white ribbon cuttings. You have the black part of town and the white part of town. And, you know, listen, I understand races tend to congregate together. I get it. But, boy, you go, go to Atlanta and go to any other of these places, and you don't have that weird kind of vibe going on that you do here in St. Louis. And I think that was kind of illustrated and ultimately exemplified in this, uh, in, 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 in this ribbon cutting fiasco. It's crazy. All right, coming up, check this out. Jimmy Hoff, I'm going to get my Skype here going. We're going to have Jimmy Hoff, the Gateway Pundit, on with us. And at about 8.30, we are going to have Doug Giles joining us as well because he's a wild man. Yes, Radio Free Allman, live from the Discovery Design Studio. Discovery Design, Inc. Yeah. Yeah, they don't like it when we play Earth, Wind, and Fire there at the uh, main controls. Sorry about that. I mean, you know, what else? What am I going to do? 
Thank you. Thank you so much. You know, it's weird. Facebook, I should have probably come in sooner on that, but uh, I'm going to wait till you guys get back up on the Facebook feed. So I'm going to call Jimmy Hoft here, get him on. That's one of the things about platforms uh, that we're going to ultimately be getting into because the when you are it's kind of like we are complaining oftentimes about Facebook and Facebook calling the national anthem or parts of it somebody put the lyrics of the national anthem on the Facebook and it was determined to be hate speech and that's all only because we don't have our own platforms you we are utilizing other people's platforms and the goal is to create a different platform. And in fact, that's something that actually Doug Giles and I are working on down the line is a separate platform so that you're not dependent on – let me see if I can get back up here again. Where are we? Okay, now, now I got you on. So that you're not dependent on yet another platform uh, and, and they could shut you down and, and, and do whatever – so that you're not dependent on on a, somebody else's platform to survive, and that's kind of one of the problems we have is that is that we're just kind of in this different zone. Is is Facebook down again? Okay, I'm trying I'm trying to figure this out. Hang on, guys. Uh, I'm trying to get back onto my my Facebook f- stream because I can't uh, I can't see it here, buddy. Yeah, I'm tr- I'm just trying. I can't. Um, I can't find it here. There we are. Let me see. Okay, good. Yeah. Sorry about that, guys. So, no, but we're kicked off. And, and, and again, see, I, I don't, I'm not one of those people who believe I should just play anybody's music and profit off somebody's music. You, know, you usually get a license and you do all that, and we're working on that, that part of it because as I start to monetize the show, I've got to be careful about that because I don't want to steal somebody else's art. So I completely understand this idea that you don't want to – I mean pe- people who are artists have the right to be compensated for their music. And so when you're using it for a show or whatever, they expect to be compensated for that. And I completely understand that. But I have to be careful because I, I wasn't you – know, th- at the time, wasn't really monetizing. Now that I am and building the monetization of the show, I'm actually making money on a show. And therefore, I'm using music to make money. So I, I, it doesn't bother me. But I'm using Facebook's platform though. And Facebook pays a license to utilize the music. So why Facebook is kicking me off when they've already paid and I'm using their platform is kind of weird to me and kind of complicated. But really, in the end, there's no sense in bitching about it. All you do is you create your own platform. And eventually, you, you get to that point where you just have your own platform and not you're not dependent on other people's platforms. Because when you are... They'll pull the plug on you whenever they want to and for whatever reason they want to. And when they're run by a bunch of liberals, like, for instance, Entercom, the the new company run by a bunch of libs, you think they're going to have a whole lot of tolerance for uh, conservative talk? Hell no. Facebook run by a bunch of libs? No wonder 
their algorithms are showing that parts of the national anthem can be described as hate speech. I mean, that's just because because you're the platform and the and is only as good as the people who are actually owning it and running it. And when it's owned and run by a bunch of libs, then you can imagine that the conservatives aren't necessarily going to get a whole hell of a lot of uh, breaks when it comes to that kind of stuff. So anyway, let me see if I can call Jimmy and get him on here. The Gateway Pundit, Jimmy Hoft. Good morning. Uh, Good morning this morning. Jim Hoft, how you doing, buddy? Great, Jamie. Good to be with you. Hey, I was. I got to tell you, I've been so amused by this story about the Statue of Liberty climber who is an African immigrant who apparently right. is complaining about our immigration system. It was the craziest thing. And apparently we now have confirmed that Michelle Obama continues to speak to certain people from her almighty spaceship. <laughs> right. This was uh, – there, there's of course, there's more to this story than the media is going to tell you, J- Jamie. Um, and uh, the media right now and the left, they're, they're painting this woman as such a hero. You know, she's just so brave and strong and uh, speaking for all of the Democrats. Right. But um, if you look at her background, Jamie, I posted something the other day um, as this happened on the July 4th. She was uh, she came here 10 years ago from the Republic of Congo and uh, one of the, you know, dirtiest, most rundown uh you know, countries in the world, yes. of course, you know, um, she comes from there 10 years ago since that time, uh, when she was here a year or two, she, she, uh, filed a lawsuit against some people claiming that she was being discriminated against and that they did not like black people. So she filed this big lawsuit at some housing, uh, firm or something. And she lost that, um, because, uh, you know, of course she was just, she already had, she'd only been here a year or two and she's already playing the system, right? We don't know how much money she was given from the system since she's been here. She's a personal trainer. And, and if you look at her recent background, she's been going to these protests, these anti-Trump protests now for over a year on a weekly basis. And last year she assaulted a cop at one of these protests, right? So she's, she's, uh, waving the resist t-shirt as she's on the top of the statue of liberty she's she's a jacked a cop she hates this country she plays a race card all the time and the question is why why are we allowing people like this in our country you know and she's shutting down the fourth of july for uh, and the statue of liberty on the fourth of july for anybody who wants to go see it so uh i i don't think uh i i i kind of question why do we have to keep people like this well, here's the thing. What's so interesting about this is it looks as if this woman with her, by the way, her pink shoes she was wearing and her T-shirt that said white supremacy is terrorism. It seems to me like she has everything she needs in this country since she got here in 1994. The only thing she seems to be lacking, by the way, I can see is she doesn't have a comb. 
for her hair. But other than that, <laughs> she seems to have had the world left at her doorstep for her after coming here from the Congo. And here is a legal immigrant who comes to this country and decides to beat up cops and tell us how crappy our country is and call our president a monster. And now, and people wonder why some of us are so agitated or some of us just turn a deaf ear to their cries about immigration or their cries about how terrible this country is or whatever, when it seems to me this woman is nothing but an ingrate. And if, and if she doesn't like it here, to me, she hasn't been here that long, really, in the scheme of things, that she could just call her little American citizenship an experiment and go back to the crap hole known as the Congo. <laughs> Absolutely. Um, and uh, the fact that she's being cheered for this stunt, you know, it's so selfish what she did. This is Independence Day. People want to go see the Statue of Liberty. She shuts it down. So people, you know, they could have been in uh, New York for the weekend or, you know, for the holiday and wanted to see the Statue of Liberty. They didn't get a chance to because this selfish woman, you know, is climbing up on top. And uh, with her, as you said, a white supremacy shirt, um, it's <laughs> yeah. just uh, it's appalling what's going on. And the left, the fact that they salute this, J.B., I can't imagine that normal Americans look at this nonsense and uh, that they're attracting more voters to the Democrat Party when this kind of stuff is going on constantly now. Yeah, and you know what's interesting? That's a great point you make, and I, it didn't occur to me that you have people – sometimes there are individuals when they'll, they'll travel to New York, and, and their big dream, for instance, is to be there in, on Liberty Island at Battery Park or whatever on the 4th of July to take in this – unbelievably beautiful monument, this beautiful statement of American generosity known as the Statue of Liberty. And basically they got there and it was it was shut down by an ungrateful ingrate of an immigrant. It just doesn't it couldn't get any more twisted than that. Good point. Yeah, I just uh I don't know. I think they're I think they continue to lose uh voters by the day. Uh, this this crazy Democrat Party with these continual stunts um, that really uh, show no respect for the rest of the country. I don't think they really care, but uh, yeah, I don't think they're winning winning many friends with this kind of stuff. I'm sure Michelle Obama is thrilled that she came out of court <laughs> and and attached herself to the to the first lady as calling her her hero. I'm sure Michelle Obama is just fascinated by the whole thing. <laughs> I, I uh, look forward to seeing if she puts out a statement. That'll be interesting. Yesterday, Jimmy Hoff, the Gateway Pundit, gatewaypundit.com, uh, I heard this mentioned more than a few times because this was the meme out there and Fox News fell into it. And there was this idea that there was no way this guy could have gone and thrown a soda and stolen a Make America Great Again hat from a young kid without being provoked somehow. It had to be something that they said to him and something that they did to him. And, of course, 
that is just simply them making things up as they go along because there was no proof in any way, shape, or form that these kids said anything to this guy, provoked him in any way, shape, or form, and yet that still was entertained as a possibility. Uh, it never seems to be when it's the other side being attacked. But nonetheless, it turns out that this right. guy, Kino Jimenez, is the guy, and he basically, this was an unprovoked attack, and now he's facing the music. Yeah, he is, um, and that's a, that's a good thing. And, Jamie, uh, you look at this guy, right? He looks like he's about 250 pounds, about six foot three or something. He's a huge guy, right? And uh, he's uh, built like a brick house. Um, I don't think these kids were mouthing off to him. Did you see these kids? They're little, uh, you know, 16-year-old skinny little kids. I don't think they were mouthing off to this guy. You know, no smart 16-year-old is going to start a fight with somebody who weighs 100, 100 pounds more than them. Um, so that's just such nonsense. And it's so, again, it's so insulting. You know, they're trying to put the blame on these kids who were abused by this guy. And uh, now the, I, we have... we put a post up this morning already where this, this Kibbutz, he was, he was fired from his job by uh, the, um, the 4th of July that night, his, his company had put out a post on Facebook saying they fired the guy and uh, then he was prosecuted. But we put a post up this morning that showed that the Democrats, his supporters put up a GoFundMe page for this guy um, to, to raise money for him. I guess they were proud of his actions or something. Um, but, uh, that's that, uh, GoFundMe did take it down, which is good, but it's a, it's amazing that there's people who would want to support this type of violent, abusive behavior. And there's again, no proof that the kids provoked it. There was somebody who was uh, uh, alleging somehow that there was some kind of racist remark made. Uh, but even that in the end, turned out to be false. There was no proof of that whatsoever. Other witnesses said this was completely only provoked by Jimenez being triggered by the Make America Great Again hat and these guys just minding their own business. He's also, he's also been kicked out, apparently, of the Green Party. When you're too crazy for the Green Party, that says <laughs> something, right? Yeah, yeah. That's, a, that's a quite an achievement right there, isn't it? Yeah, I mean, it, it, it. I don't know what this guy was thinking, but you know what? I do, you know I kind of do know what he was thinking. He was thinking that as long as he was emotional about this, as long as he was of Hispanic heritage, as long as he was a liberal, and as long as the other person on the other end of his angst was a conservative or a Trump supporter, that he could basically do whatever he wants. I mean, after all, Maxine Waters said as much. Just get out there and confront people and do this and do that. There's no evidence he actually utilized Maxine Waters' marching orders. But nonetheless, there's this view among a lot of these individuals that they can do anything to a Trump supporter. I mean, listen, we've seen this time and time again where we've seen case after case. In fact, Breitbart has a great post. Uh, uh, Nolte put this one up where they had 70 different acts of media approved violent and har violence and harassment against Trump supporters. And so it's no wonder this guy thought he could do whatever the hell he pleased and get away with. It. He thought maybe he would be heralded as a hero, but 
it didn't turn out that way. Even people like the Green Party have limits. <laughs> right, and, and thankfully so. And I think, uh, again, most Americans have those same limits. And uh, they don't like seeing this. Nobody likes seeing a kid get picked on by some adult, some uh, you know big bully. Nobody likes that. Get, unless, of course, maybe you're a, a, a hardcore Democrat in these days. But um, they're not winning any new voters by this type of behavior that seems. And, and Jamie, I think we're going to see more and more of this as the election draws near. And I think each time I think Democrats are going to lose more and more votes because they're still not, you know, Maxine Waters is still out there saying, you know, harass people in public. Yeah. So, uh, I, you know, as, as long as their leadership is saying these types of things, I think uh, the people are going to blame the Democrat Party. Well, and Jimmy, now even people who are saying, hey, okay, we've had enough. I happen to be this, this one guy, Brandon uh, Straka, who, who was the inventor of the hashtag walk away campaign. He came up with that. And the, he's a gay hairdresser from New York. And he has had enough of the Democratic Party. He's had enough of the Maxine Waters and the Nancy Pelosi's of the world. He's had enough of the people who are promoting violence and intolerance and hatred. And so he came up with the hashtag walk away campaign. And now it turns out he, too, has been harassed and abused himself by leftists, and in this case, working at a camera shop. You have a post on this at gatewaypundit.com. Right. He was out trying to buy some equipment last night, and uh, he uh, went into this camera shop in New York City. They recognized him, and they refused to sell him any equipment. So he went home and immediately posted on it. And again, um, this isn't winning... Uh, you know, Democrats, any new voters, when you see this type of behavior, I'm telling you, Jamie, I, I have a, a writer, Lucia, Lucian Wintrich. He's back in New York city. It's just not a friendly place right now for conservatives. And uh, uh, it's becoming increasingly dangerous, I think, uh, and, and, and obviously abusive. And so this guy, uh, I don't think he's going to be running back to the Democrat party anytime soon when this is the type of treatment he's getting. Yeah, and 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 that's and that's the problem, Jimmy. Is is that you know? Yeah, certainly it looks like some of these individuals are in fact getting what is due to them in terms of the uh, you know when they when they do something outrageous like this guy with the Whataburger attack. Uh, but the truth of the matter is, sometimes it's just too late. You can have people who are going to hurt somebody. And it's not going to matter what happens to them afterwards. Somebody's going to get killed. And then, and, and in the meantime, unfortunately, they're, they're, they tend to be messing with people who actually aren't really prone to be taking a lot of abuse at a gasoline station or whatever else. Because um, I'm not sure about you, but there are people who aren't going to take kindly to being confronted while they are pumping gas at a gas station. So I'm just trying to tell people they got to be careful about all this. Oh, yeah, I I think you're absolutely right. Um, And the fact that... um, Maxine Waters, like I said, and, and a lot of Democrats think this is the appropriate thing to do. Is It's really uh, quite shocking. And uh, I hope the public rejects this wholeheartedly in the next uh, upcoming election. 
Well, and I think they will. I, I think I think at some point, you know, the the uh, you can deny all you want that Maxine Waters and some of these other folks are the face of the Democratic Party, but they have absorbed so many whack jobs. And then you have this one Statue of Liberty climber invoking Michelle Obama. At that point, you're the, these two crazy – these people are all inextricably tied to the Democratic Party, even though obviously much will be made about the Whataburger attackers being associated with the Green Party. But to me, there's not much of a difference no, not really. Not really. And uh, the fact that their target is Republicans, you know, again, it's it's the same, the same thing. Uh, I don't know if the Green Party is pushing this type of nonsense, but we do know that the Democrats are. Yeah, no and doubt. this guy certainly was influenced by the Democrat Party, it, it looks like. Yeah. I mean, really, honestly, the Democrats are making the Green Party look like uh, they are – have some credibility and and actually there are there are some people in the green party who actually i do think at least are are extremely liberal extremely left but they tend to leave people alone so uh you know more power to them on on that level all right and one more final thing you have up here uh this uh peter straka deal where this guy if he doesn't wind up indicted over this whole thing and you can't just simply make up timelines and things like that as an FBI agent. Apparently he did, correct? Right. This is what uh, came out uh, this morning. Actually, Paul Sperry, this this reporter from New York City, had tweeted about this last night, but it looks like Peter Strzok put together this uh, uh, fraudulent timeline about uh, the Wiener emails to uh, make the... Uh, Obama FBI look uh, like they were clean. Um, so this is probably going to come up. Uh, Strzok is going to testify next week. Hopefully uh, one of these great Republican uh, lawmakers will confront this guy on this. But uh, I, again, it's it's very disappointing, Jamie. I know you're there with me. When we see what appears to be criminal act after criminal act by these deep state players. And they all seem to walk away with, you know, with no punishment. Last night at, at the rally in Montana, the crowd started chanting again, lock her up, lock her up about Hillary Clinton. And Trump, uh, you know, interrupted them and said, no, 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 there's, no, there's not going to be anything. Uh, they're not going to do anything with Hillary. We know that there's a double standard now. We got to clean up this DOJ. But, you know, Hillary's special. He's, you know, so he, he interrupted them because. He's saying, again, what we're all feeling, and that is that these people in these high-level positions, especially if they're Democrat, they get to walk away from, uh, from these uh, what appear to be criminal acts, and yet you have good people like um, General Flynn, who's losing his life savings, and it looks like he was set up, and, and he could face uh, criminal uh, you know, time in prison or something, so... This DOJ is really out of whack. I'm glad Trump mentioned this last night in his speech, but I think a lot of Americans are pretty upset with the fact that these guys look like they were completely in the tank for Hillary and, uh, and, and completely against Donald Trump, and they, they're all seeming to get to walk away from it. 
Yeah, no doubt, buddy. Well, as always, Jim Hoft, great work. And as always, uh, I so appreciate your support of Radio Free Almond. And uh, your site is amazing, invigorating, and telling the truth, as usual, the gatewaypundit.com. So I appreciate you, Jimmy. Thanks, Jimmy. Thanks a ton, man. Yeah, you know, the uh, the hashtag walk away thing, frankly, uh, because I've been busy and everything else, they, they kind of caught me a little by surprise. I hadn't been really caught up on the hashtag walk away. I realize it's relatively new. So if you guys are just kind of catching on, like, what is that? Where did that come from, the hashtag walk away thing? Uh, this guy is Brandon Straka, and he is on Twitter, and he's got, in parentheses, uh, the unsilent minority. And he explains, really, the how this whole thing came about, how the walk away thing came about. So here, I'll, I'll just go ahead and play it for you and let you listen to it yourself. If you are a person of color, an LGBT person, a woman, or an American immigrant, the Democratic Party wants you to know that you are a victim and destined to stay that way. They will insist that you are a victim doomed to exist within a system that is rigged against you, that you are a victim of systemic oppression, that you are a victim of your circumstances. That's how you get a Congolese immigrant in the situation she was in where she shut down the Statue of Liberty for other Americans and then came out wearing a shirt from the courtroom that says uh, white supremacy is terrorism and how you get a woman who clearly is enjoying all the freedoms that America has to offer, including speaking out, including calling the president a monster. But this is that attitude you get from these people because she obviously is and sees herself as a perpetual victim, even though she clearly has been hugely blessed by this country, not abused by it. Anyway, here's Brandon again. No amount of hard work or motivational action will ever allow you to overcome your victimhood or the privilege of those around you. This is perhaps the Democratic Party's greatest and most insidious lie. But if you are a minority in America today, the left-wing politicians and the liberal media don't want you to ever discover this lie. So they bombard us with stories designed to reinforce the narrative that you are in danger, that you cannot succeed. They manipulate your fears and concerns by telling you that you're disadvantaged, disempowered, and disposable. To this is a gay liberal, by the way, people. <laughs> I mean, he's speaking from the heart here, and he has no history at all of being a member of the conservative movement or whatever. This is a guy who clearly has just absolutely had enough. Everyone except them. They will tell you that you need them. They will tell you that you are only safe under their supervision. They will promise to liberate you from all that chains you. And then... They will do absolutely nothing for you. Once I think I like the music the best part of this, too. It's very dramatic, but he is right on. that They will, in the end, do nothing for you. It's kind of like when we had uh, some folks in, we were talking to them. Uh, Pascal's a friend of mine, so I'm not trying to beat him up, but he was like, so why is Trump racist and what was so great about Obama? And Pascal admitted, it was like, well, I... I think the fact that he was black and got elected is an achievement. It's like, yeah, but what has he done for blacks? And there was really no answer to that question. And 
That's why Brandon Straka is right on. On the time, I was a liberal. But liberalism has changed. And I will no longer be a part of an ideology or political party that represents everything that contradicts my values of unity, equal opportunity, personal empowerment, compassion, and love. So I am walking away. And I encourage all of you to do the same. Walk away. All right, so it's the, uh, it's the Facebook page, The Unsilent Majority. I mean, I'm sorry, Unsilent Minority. And you can follow them on Twitter, The Unsilent Minority, at U.S. Minority. And also Brandon Straka, that's where, where he is reciting, at U.S. Minority. So take advantage of it. Go ahead and reach out to him. Follow him on Twitter. And tell him you heard about him on Radio Free Almond, and maybe I can, uh, I'll can. i reach out to him myself and grab a an interview with him at some point so he could come on the show with me maybe next week. I'll try to reach out to him, to him over the weekend and get, this, and get this going on. But this guy has some guts, and he went to a camera shop, and the people in the camera shop decided they were going to – the employees of the camera shop decided they were going to – raise hell with him right there in a camera shop. Now, by the way, what is it about these companies that are tolerating their left-wing lunatic employees to abuse customers and abuse people who come in to their place? And now, I guess it turns out that the owner of the Red Hen, you know, that restaurant in Virginia that turned away Sarah Huckabee Sanders, she was liberal, liberal herself. So the, uh, the pee tends to trickle down from the top there onto her employees. But still, she was doing and she claimed she was doing only what her employees wanted her to do because they felt uncomfortable serving Sarah Huckabee Sanders. So who runs the shop there? And if you're the owner of this camera shop and your employees are treating customers like that, or we've seen case after case, for instance, at the Starbucks, you know, people walking in and some Starbucks loon decides they're going to write something disparaging on the receipt or do whatever they're doing. I mean, what, at what point do these companies tolerate these employees who decide that's going to be their thing is abusing their customers who come in? I just I, – I don't get it. That camera shop, that ought to be hugely embarrassing for this guy. But nonetheless, there are some people who don't tolerate this kind of activity, and apparently it's the bar where Mr. Jimenez worked at because they went ahead and fired him. And it appears that the Green Party is a lot more sensible than I ever thought it was because they said um, – because apparently he's very active in the Green Party – and they said, this guy doesn't represent the Green Party in any way, shape, or form. And so we are telling him to go away. And they did. And I thought that was pretty ballsy for the Green Party. You could say what you want about that, uh, about the Green Party. But, man, you at least they took action and said they didn't want the guy around anymore. And that's good. Now, somebody had posted on the Facebook page, uh, 
and and Stan. Okay, thanks, buddy. Thanks for being on Facebook. We'll see you over there on the stream, man. Uh, the the Facebooker, I can't remember who it was. No, oh, it was way back in the in 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 the comment section. But the real concern here about these confrontations that are being encouraged and some of that that are happening is that one of these days a conservative is going to fight back. And we've seen a couple of these battles happening in protests with Antifa. I tweeted out one example of where there was an individual who just basically just hammered this Antifa piece of dirt and punched him in the face after he was confronted and hit over the head with a sign or something like that. But they fought back. But that's in a, in a protest area there. That's that's in a that's in a um, that's that's in a venue that is two sides and they're fighting and that kind of thing. But imagine Maxine Waters scenario where you're at a gasoline station or whatever it happens to be, and you have a Trump bumper sticker or you have a Make America Great Again hat on, or there's some indication you're a Trump supporter. And imagine what happens at a gas station when you're surrounded by people and then somebody decides they're going to throw a bottle at your car or they decide they're going to push you or do whatever. Sometimes, or or let's say you're not a 16-year-old kid. Clearly, this Jimenez guy is an entitled, narcissistic bully and decided he would pick on a 60-year-old. This guy would never do that to somebody who was older and his own size. And maybe he would, but this guy would never probably do that in any other circumstances. But imagine you are at a Whataburger, and you have your Make America Great Again hat, and some thug comes over to you and takes your hat off and throws a soda at you. What are you going to do? Because I know I'm punching him in the throat. So... That's happening. But what happens when we do have that one confrontation, that one confrontation that actually becomes really dangerous? And when a conservative decides they're going to fight back, you know, that's going to touch off this muted kind of civil war that's going to be going on all over the place. And I guarantee you, once the conservative fights back, they'll be treated like there's some kind of pariah or some kind of crazy person. Look what happened to the the kids. The media, even Fox News, kind of jumped on this fake news bandwagon that somehow the kids must have made some kind of racist remark to Jimenez to make him come over and grab the Make America Great Again hat. When actually it turned out that that claim was completely false. The witnesses said this was totally unprovoked except by the fact that the kid was wearing a Make America Great Again hat on. But nonetheless... I don't know what's going to happen or what we're going to see when somebody finally has had enough. Because you, when you start to physically attack people or surround them or do whatever, you're creating a very dangerous situation. And I would never advocate you know, uh, just unprovoked violence or whatever. But people are inclined as human beings to defend themselves. And let's... Say you've got kids in the car and you've got a Make America Great Again hat on or 
bumper sticker, and then whoever is marching to whatever flying monkey is marching to the witch's orders in the formulation of Maxine Waters decides they're going to confront you and surround your car. What's going to happen there? So Nolte over there at Breitbart has an article that's very interesting. It's called Rap Sheet. 70 acts of media approved violence and harassment against Trump supporters. I kind of need Brandon's music behind me to, 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 to narrate this for you, but I will go back. A lot of this has happened in 2018, uh, but let's, do let's go back number 70 goes back to march 1st of 2016 so you have the former daily show contributor larry wilmore joking about killing trump you've got that thing that happened on the 12th of march in 2016 when the man tried to tackle trump at a campaign rally that person was treated like he was some kind of local hero by the way after that uh, and in fact, CNN decided they were going to actually put the guy on the air and treat him as such. That was on the 14th of March, two days later. Then in June of 2016, I remember, remember the woman who was pelted with raw eggs at the rally, the woman who had eggs thrown in her face. Remember that video? I do. I wonder where she is now. She was surrounded by a mob and pelted with raw eggs. Then you had uh, August, left-wing thugs attacking Trump's motorcade. In October, De Niro saying he wanted to punch Trump in the face. You had the GOP headquarters in North Carolina firebombed October 16th of 2016, right before the election, firebombed. You had a couple people in November, as we head into November, threatening Trump, Marilyn Manson, killing Trump in a music video. Then after the election, just like all hell broke loose. You had a bunch of left-wing thugs attacking a 15-year-old Trump supporter. You had an 18-year-old, remember this person with schizophrenia, who was tortured, beaten, and kidnapped by some thugs in Chicago who were shouting F Trump and F white people. That was all on video. I think they wound up getting just a slap on the wrist in the court system. In January, this was the 19th, right before the inauguration, they CNN talked about President Obama staying in power in the event Trump is assassinated. That, that, was, that was on CNN. Then, of course, you know, they had the – I was up there at this time when we were in D.C. and I brought Aiden up there for the inauguration. And you had Madonna fantasizing about blowing up the White House. You had people marauding all over D.C. You had the Antifa guys lighting limousines on fire. You had uh, people who were – burning things, rioting. To, to, to my knowledge, not one of these people arrested in D.C. I, in fact, thought it was going to be fun to watch some 250 people all head to federal prison because D.C., when you commit a crime there, it's a federal crime, not a state crime because it's not a state. 
So it's a federal crime. But I'm not sure any of these individuals have yet to spend a day in jail. Then, of course, you had the June of last year. This is the year, close to the year anniversary of it in the past, where the Bernie Sanders supporter from Illinois, thank you, decided he was going to go to this baseball game and shoot up a bunch of Republicans. Remember that? Of course you do. Then you had the New York fact checker uh, accused being a member of ICE of being a Nazi. I mean, I, I don't. I actually think Nolte's missing a lot because I remember. I seem to remember a lot of this stuff happening re- regarding uh, uh, disparaging Trump supporters. So it's on and on. I'll, I'll go ahead and put the link up there in the comments section for you all to read. I, I, I'm sure a lot of you could could add add to it. But now we're seeing attack after attack, and then we're 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 actually seeing you know the in, in Nebraska this GOP office was vandalized. Uh, Rand Paul, somebody threatened to kill him and his family. That's after he'd already been attacked while mowing his lawn a while back. And, of course, the Washington Post reporter there, uh, this was the conservative, Jennifer Rubin. This was the conservative at the Washington Post who said that mobs should give Trump officials a life sentence of harassment. So that's what this is all about. Finally, he had Pruitt resign, the EPA guy who was the most recent cabinet member to be yelled at at a restaurant. Of course, he was embattled as it was. But then you also had the Secretary of Homeland Security who was attacked at the restaurant by this mob. And nobody, nobody wound up kicking him out, which was even crazier. So it's there. It's all there in black and white. And to the one of our listeners' uh, points, what's going to happen when this suddenly becomes somebody fighting back and, and, and then someone gets killed? You're, you're going to have your – are you going to have your Crispus Attucks moment? And is that when all hell is going to break loose? What's going to happen? If, and I hope it doesn't happen because I, the last thing I would want to have is Americans of differing political views actually physically harming each other. But in the America we live in right now, there is a certain segment of individuals who are clearly entitled and believe they can do whatever they want to as long as they're emotional about it. So Mr. Jimenez can walk around and – pummel a 16-year-old Make America Great Again hat-wearing kid, and you can have a Congolese immigrant who comes to this country in 1994, and as Jimmy Hoff pointed out in terms of her committing her crimes, suing lawsuits here, lawsuits there, and then finally deciding she is going to go on July 4th and climb the Statue of Liberty and ruin Independence Day for many tourists in New York and everybody else and ruin our access to our statue. It certainly was ours before it was hers, and yet she's heralded as a hero and talks about Michelle Obama being her fearless leader and has white supremacy as terrorism t-shirt on, and she's got all the, all the generosity that America has to offer her, including free speech. And she's still not satisfied. And now you wonder why we just say, you know what? 
take a hike, people. We just you know, we'll see at the polling place. And this is not helping the left. This is not helping the movement. They've run out of things to try to run on. And now suddenly the Democratic Party and the liberals and, and I feel sorry for decent Democrats and decent liberals out there, but you've got a disaster on your hands that's going to play out with disastrous results in, in, the, uh, in the elections coming up. Blue wave. Ha, ha, ha. That's funny. Blue wave. How about the blue wave of humiliation? We're here at the DiscoveryDesignInc.com studios. When I walk beside her, I am a better man. When I look to leave her, I always stagger back again. Once I built an ivory tower so I could worship from above. When I climbed down to be set free, she took me in again. There's a Charm, she just throws it back at me. Once I dug an early grave to find a better land, she just smiled and laughed at me and took her blues back again. All right, back here at the Discovery Design Studios here for Radio Free Almond. Appreciate you guys being with us as always. Doug Giles coming up at just about 8.30. And, yeah, you want me to double back on the news conference that our Congolese immigrant friend off? Okay. What's that? Oh, okay. They popped us off again. Okay, yeah. Try to try to get in there earlier, but uh, they keep pulling us off on the. You guys are on the stream. It's not a big deal, but on Facebook, they keep pulling us off, people. Because I'm playing this music, I need I need to figure out a different uh, different path for this um for this thing. So they keep pulling us off. Let me know when we're back up, Matt. I guess I should stop the music because they keep on kicking kicking me off at that point. But, you know, folks, this 
this is the th- this country, and, and of course, we're not among the individuals who are uh, not proud to be Americans. You know that forty seven percent of the individuals who were proud to be American was at an all time low on July fourth. But we've already been uh, been through that on, on a number of different levels. But uh, the, the the fact of the matter is, uh, it still remains hugely frustrating for all of us uh, to, 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 to have to endure the indignities of listening to people like this Congolese immigrant who has basically decided that it's her right and privilege to disrupt the lives of individuals traveling to New York on July 4th and that it's and that it's her right and privilege to come here and call the president a monster that it's her right and privilege to wear a t-shirt that said white supremacy is terrorism that it's her right to disparage and disrespect federal property and the very emblem of american generosity and the fact of the is, you know what's true about this? What's true about this is it is her right. And that's what makes this country both beautiful as well as frustrating for some people. But the fact of the matter is this Congolese immigrant who's basically had everything given to her, she comes from a country where people just – beat the crap out of other people, throw burning tires around their necks and hack people to death for pretty much no reason because they might be a member of uh, somebody's tribe they didn't like. It's like it's a crap hole there in the Congo. This woman's lucky to be here. And she has no reason to be upset or in any way, shape, or form feel wronged by this country. Let me tell you, there are a lot of people who are living in the inner cities and a lot of Americans who were born here who don't have nearly the kind of access to things that she clearly has. And in fact, there are many people who come here legally who have a lot more going for them than than people who were born here. Uh, And that's really the amazing part of all this. And so that's why it's so hard to listen to people like this. Listen to them talk about uh, how righteous they are. And then Michelle Obama, Lord, she must have just been like, oh, you're not even kidding me. I want to thank Wise and Resist for their dedication in the work that they do, for their support for equality and social justice. As you know by now, I am from the Republic of Congo. I came in this country in 1994. I also United States Park Police. Michelle Obama, <laughs> our beloved first lady that I care so much about, said when they go low, we go high. And I went as high as I could. Yeah. And who wrote that for her? Michelle Obama, because Michelle Obama apparently is still speaking to these individuals from her almighty spaceship, apparently. But nonetheless, that's that's what's wrong with this situation. What's wrong with the left is they don't think we notice that um, you're speaking with an accent. 
you're not you were you weren't born in America. You actually came here in 1994. It wasn't like you were born here either. In 1994. And now we have to listen to you talk about how horrible our country is, how horrible white people are, and, and calling our president a monster. No, thank you. We're kind, of, we're kind of been there, done that. So eventually these people are just simply, uh, that hashtag walk away means a lot in the aftermath of all this because uh, there are people who are continuing to walk away from this. And we notice it. We see it. We see what's going on. We see this woman. And even liberals are like, "Um, what's your problem? Why are you doing this? You're making a fool of all of us. And indeed, she is. Boy, did you see Trey Gowdy with Adam Schiff last night? I mean, I'm listening to this, and Gowdy is just, I love this guy, because I reminds me of uh, Foghorn Leghorn, I say, I say. But Gowdy just humiliated Adam Schiff on this show, uh, and he was with, I'm sorry, he said he was on Adam Schiff. He was on the uh, show with uh, Chaffetz, who was filling in, I think, for Tucker or Somebody of that nature. But this was really great. Here, I'll play it for you. It was on Hannity. Welcome back to this special edition of Hannity. Anti-Trump. Was I up that late? I didn't know that. Agent Peter Strzok has been subpoenaed to testify before a public joint hearing of the House Judiciary and Oversight Committees next Tuesday. But according to Strzok's attorney, Peter Strzok may not comply with the subpoena. Watch this. Will your client comply with the subpoena or the request? Will he come on in and do another interview? My client will testify publicly soon, somewhere, sometime. Uh, we just got this subpoena today, so I don't know whether or not we are going to be testifying next Tuesday in front of these two particular House subcommittees. Yeah, because Peter Strzok already talked to these guys, and it was soon discovered that Peter Strzok is like, I don't think I want to talk to these guys anymore after all of this because he knows gradually and eventually he's going to wind up with his butt in a sling sooner rather than later. And Trey Gowdy is the one who actually uh, interviewed him and talked to him behind closed doors. And Gowdy goes on the show with uh, Chaffetz, and I think Gowdy really does indeed smell blood because he's he's more confident than I've ever seen him, more on fire than I've seen him in a long, long time. Here you go. How many times have you met and interacted uh, with Donald Trump? I've never met President Trump, never had a conversation with him. I, I do want to get to Strzok and Page in a second, but... But Jason, initially I took that as a compliment. I'm a huge Ric Flair fan, so anytime somebody says you're part of the Four Horsemen, I thought it was a compliment. <laughs> it was my wife who later said, I think he's talking about those four guys from the Book of Revelation, so <laughs> that's not a compliment. Let me tell you this about Adam. Adam's had a terrible last couple of years. He wanted to be the Attorney General under Hillary Clinton, and no one in the country this is Adam Schiff, who continue, who used to be in front of a microphone every single day, but apparently has decided he's not too talkative these days for some reason. I don't know. 
But the fact of the matter is Adam Schiff now has kind of disappeared and isn't so confident anymore about his positioning. And there's a reason for that, and it's because Adam Schiff has been wrong time and time again about Russiagate, about Trump, about all this kind of stuff. And so that's the reality people here, and Gowdy pretty much lays it out. Harder to protect her than Adam Schiff. He wanted to be the head of the CIA. He wanted to run for California and run for Senate in the People's Republic of California. But he couldn't win either of those seats, so now, now he wants to be the chairman of the House Intelligence Committee, speaking of the apocalypse, Adam Schiff wants to be the chairman of the House Intelligence Committee. If you ever have, I don't know, a couple of free months with nothing else to do, I want you to go back, Jason, and think of all the things you would not know if you had taken Adam Schiff's advice. By the way, this is all off the cuff. This is what a rock star Trey Gowdy is. And Gowdy mentioned earlier, by the way, that he had never actually met President Trump. That's pretty amazing to me. As, and, and I don't think it's because President Trump's mean to him or what. I just don't think they've had the occasion to have these conversations. But, man, is, is he a great ally for the president in terms of just getting to the bottom of the story, getting to the meat of the story, getting to the truth here? But listen to him lay this out. This is all off the cuff. Wouldn't know the whole the spontaneous reaction to a video was a hoax in Libya, you would never have read the first Chris Stevens email. You wouldn't know that Hillary Clinton had this unique email arrangement with herself because Adam Schiff did everything in his power to keep you from finding out. You wouldn't know about the dossier. You wouldn't know who funded it. You wouldn't know it was used in a court proceeding. You wouldn't know about Struck and Page. In fact, you wouldn't even be having a show tonight. You wouldn't be having a show about Struck and Page if Adam Schiff had had his way. So. Look, if they secede from the union and President Maxine Waters wants to make him the attorney general in California, more power to him. Otherwise, I don't think anybody on my side of the aisle gives much of a damn what Adam Schiff thinks. I mean, what more do you need to know from Trey Gowdy in terms of how he feels about the the situation regarding Adam Schiff and uh, about the Russiagate about the Mueller investigation, about everything else. It's, uh, it's pretty crazy, and it's slowly unraveling. So when you look at what's happening here, when you look at how Adam Schiff has basically disappeared from the face of the earth and ultimately might even be drawn into some legal proceeding, when you look at – remember the original tweet that President Trump made, and was it around that – I can't remember exactly the date – But President Trump had said that he believed he had been wiretapped. Remember that? It was and it was he was laughed off the face of the earth because he was just such 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 an idiot and he was this and he's just making things up. And President Trump has said without you remember the whole without evidence thing because every time President Trump would open his mouth, the media would always say without evidence. President Trump is claiming without evidence, but you know even though he was just rendering an opinion about something, but. President Trump, it turns out, based on what we know, President Trump was right. President Trump was right that they were spying on him. That they, I don't know whether he was being wiretapped exactly where he was, but all indications are that the FBI and the deep state were basically monitoring his campaign, 
Heaven knows how deep this whole thing went. And he was being investigated by people who actually didn't like him. They were on the record as people who basically didn't like him. I mean, hell, James Comey was interviewed and talked about how he noticed uh, the president's small hands. I mean, where'd we, where'd we hear that from? His most uh, d- d- adversaries that despised him the most talked about his small hands, all this nonsense. But these were people who are in the Department of Justice. And as President Trump indicated last night in Montana, when people were chanting, as Jimmy Hoff pointed out, to lock her up. The fact of the matter is that he's now going after bigger fish. Yeah, Hillary's a big fish, but whether or not she actually is ever prosecuted for something, I don't know. But the fact of the matter is that the Department of Justice is where the sites need to be set. And they are being set, as you just heard regarding Trey Gowdy and and Strzok's attorney, who's now saying, I don't know, we might not talk more after all. It's like, of course, you better not. I mean, I, I, I hope that he does, but they're already kind of seeing that their numbers are gradually coming up in terms of them being in the crosshairs of potential charges. So what are the Democrats going to do? Like We know that the blue wave is non-existent. We know that the more they keep smacking sodas out of the hands of Make America Great Again hat wearers, 16 years old, uh, the more they are bitching and moaning and climbing Statues of Liberty and doing all their stuff and claiming people are racist and, and, and that kind of thing. We know that so far that's the sum total of their movement right now. They've, they, they've, they've exhausted their their apparently exhausted all of their Nazi and Hitler comparisons in the concentration camp. By the way, where are they now on that? Presumably there are still people being separated from their families and there are still people being collared at the border, but there aren't any live trucks out there or director's chairs from the network shows, or there's not even anybody really talking about this anymore. So, where did their concern for the kids go? Not that I really want to hear more of them bitching and moaning about this thing and calling, making comparisons to uh, gas showers and concentration camps. But boy, if this were truly, if it were true that that this is just like Nazi Germany, you'd think that they would be more focused on talking about that. My assumption is, uh, had these guys been around back in the day, the actual days of Hitler, there'd be 12 million Jews killed, not six, because they would have just simply raised hell for about two days and forgotten all about it. But I don't know, is it still going on down there or what's what's happening? So again, the the, the Democratic Party and liberals, they don't have issues they can stick to. You know, we've again, we've exhausted the Confederate statue stuff. Uh, The immigration thing is something that still has legs for them to a certain degree because that's a big deal. But in the end, what you're seeing is a Nancy Pelosi who actually cares more about gang members in MS-13 than she does about Henry Davis in inner city St. Louis. 
And people are starting to get that. People are starting to understand that. People are starting to say, wait a minute, you're more fired up about these rapists and murderers than you are about me and uh, protecting me. And again, I'm not calling every single – well, I, I don't need to qualify this. Forget it. But, but you get the point. So where is this blue wave coming from? I mean, hell, you even have people in Montana like John Tester, which is why President Trump was over there. You even have individuals in Montana who uh, – Tester's seat is not secure even in Montana. And this is John Tester who's a guy who uh, is a conservative Democrat. And there's a chance that, that, that his seat is in peril. And, and, and when Democrats do run and they're part of the establishment, like in New York, they're losing to left-wing socialists, which is pretty amazing. So I don't know where the party thinks it's going to be getting its vote. She's not going to um, – I guess it's a largely Democratic district, so there's a chance she could still uh, – obviously she's going to win. Mark Kaysen believes she's the future, whatever her name is. I forgot already, but – the, the Democratic Party chairman says that she's the future of the Democratic Party. And I, I, I really, that, that's good news, by the way. So this 2018 wave isn't going anywhere. And, and, and the, and the uh, 2020 picture looks even worse. So what are Democrats doing? Well, MSNBC last night was promoting this website that is actually connecting Democrats with so-called swing districts. And this is up on Newsbusters, and it's, and it's great. And this is what uh, Nicholas Fondacaro writes. He says, the liberal media love to pretend they don't play favorites between the parties, but we know they do. But that's really hard to defend when you're praising a liberal organization called Swing Left that connects Democrats with swing districts they can volunteer in. So what happens is you've got people who now are being fanned out in so-called swing districts, the old so-called purple districts where you have the blue and the red. And these are Democrats who don't even live in the district who go out and go door to door on behalf of Democrat candidates. Now, again, uh, that's why this country is great. The You can do that. It's okay to do that. But that's how desperate the Democrats are, is that they are importing other Democrats into these so-called swing districts to campaign for people they don't even probably know. They just know they're Democrats and they know it's a swing state or swing district. So they're going to go door to door in these things. So this chicky poo from uh, MSNBC. What's her name? Oh, uh, Chris Jansing. And she's very excited about this whole thing. She's she's a news anchor at MSNBC. And again, I actually appreciate MSNBC a lot more than I do, for instance, CNN. Because I know that MSNBC at least stands up for the fact that it's left. It's that There's nothing – I don't know whether MSNBC ever has really claimed that it's middle of the road. Because it's not. And when I watch Rachel Maddow or – Watch Chris Matthews or watch that Hayes dude who looks like the – it looks like Rachel Maddow just put glasses on. Or when you look at that 
one dude late at night, I forgot his name already, He's who's for that angry guy. Or when you look at Scarborough and, and that with a morning Joe, these people all, at least to their credit, just own the fact that they're left-wing loons. And so I have respect for them because they're not lying to me about anything. They're just left, which is fine. CNN, on the other hand, they will tell you they're right down the road, world's most important network, CNN. We're on at all the airports in the world, and we're amazing, and, and we're your you know, original branded news show. But really, they're, they're, they're just as left as MSNBC is. The only difference is they don't admit it. You know, if, if Wolf Blitzer would just simply say, yeah, I vote Democrat, that's what I do, then I'd be fine with that. But don't tell me that you're kind of middle of the road. Don't, you know, Anderson Cooper is, looks me in the eye and tells me that he's the middle of the road guy. There's not a chance in hell that he is. So just admit it. Rachel Maddow does admit it. So it doesn't surprise me MSNBC is promoting uh, this linkage to the website because this is what they're doing. They're actually importing other Democrats into other districts to Right uh, now over fight. issues like yeah. immigration and the Supreme Court and, frankly, Scott Pruitt. But plenty of those Democrats also live in deep blue districts. Well, now an organization called Swing Left is helping connect Democrats who live in those blue districts with nearby purple districts where they can make a difference and try to flip control of the House. So they're just going to the neighboring districts at the swing district, uh, going in there and then campaigning for Democrats. And again, sometimes they don't even know who these people are, but that doesn't stop them from running around door to door with a clipboard. Take a look. You enter your zip code here. Um, so I'm in West Hollywood, a very blue district. Yeah. Maybe one of the bluest. I mean, honestly, you do have to kind of give some Democrats credit on this. They, they, they can be very well organized sometimes. They, they, they can be pretty amazing when it comes to being able to recruit all these people and do all this kind of stuff. I really find that to be pretty fascinating. I, I, I wish and I think we have, although uh, the Trump election uh, of President Trump was a little more organic. We weren't really as organized as we were passionate. So we didn't really need to get out and manufacture any – electability on the part of President Trump, we just for a while stood up for him. And then after we were kind of beaten down, I'm talking about a lot of you. I wasn't ever beaten down in terms of my ability to speak, but a lot of you would say something in your office or say something in your home or at the dinner table at a family function that you supported President Trump. And once you were put down and looked and frowned upon and spit on, you just kept quiet and said, okay, I'll see you in November. That's kind of what we that's kind of what a lot of us did. A lot of you just kind of said, "All right, I'm giving up here. I'm not going to try to you know, I'm not going to try to convince anybody at this point." And that's why you found people who were in I I talked to a guy out of Dave Sinclair Jeep there in Pacific and he was a salesman and we were talking a little bit about the Trump election and he said, "Yeah, uh, we were a lot of us were kind of running around and we'd always kind of keep our mouth shut because we didn't know, you know, what we didn't know what people were thinking. We were afraid we were going to get cut down if we said something here or said something there. And so it became kind of a secret society thing. 
I mean, how many of you guys out there, you guys and gals, I should say, how many of you like were, were in a room or something? I happened to be uh, back when I was I actually had a relationship with Ruth Chris. I was with a bunch of people from a prospective advertiser for the show. And we were kind of nibbling around the edges of a political discussion. And then somebody finally piped up and said they liked Donald Trump or supported him. And then I and then and then they said, "Oh, you do? I do too. Oh, you do? I do too." Finally, there were five people in the room. Finally, it turned out everybody in the room supported President Trump. Everybody in that little dining area where we were, the little wine room, we wound up all saying, "Oh, wow!" We were, we also so that was the first indication that this Trump movement, as it were, was more one of a uh, silent majority movement. It was going to some, something that was going to bubble up on uh, November eighth, and we were just going to keep our mouth shut until then. That's why you had all these polls that's, that, that were showing Hillary is going to win. I know. If, for a fact, and I said it very openly when I was um, – whenever somebody from the RNC or whatever, if they were ever to call me um, or I filled something out on the internet, I always said I was voting for, for Hillary because I, uh, I, be, I wanted them to be wrong and I wanted to be embarrassed about it. So there's just a lot of people who just didn't start to say anything. So that movement was a little more organic. That was not a clipboard movement. That was more of something behind the scenes at us kind of, you know, just talking amongst ourselves. And it was the power of the ballot box that really made the Trump movement what it ultimately became. But now I think we have to be more organized. And unfortunately, there remain people in the Republican Party who don't want us to be organized, who still want to shove candidates down our throats, who still want to pretend that we don't have power. We saw that yesterday, aired out yesterday, when we had uh, Ben in, as well as Jennifer Byrd, Ben Murphy and Jennifer Byrd, as we talked about this executive committee that decided they were going to have a vote and allow for the the federal money, the, the national Republican money to go to Holly's way, even though the primary hasn't even taken place yet. We're all like going, how in the hell did that happen? How'd you come to that conclusion? Well, that's how they came to that conclusion. Now, I did have a conversation with um, Christopher Arps and his wife, Becky, is on the uh, executive committee. And Chris is a friend of mine. He's a good guy, was never a – was uh, was – not a never Trumper, but didn't support President Trump and didn't quite like his personality a whole lot, but now supports him and supports his political ideas. And uh, his wife's on that committee, and she's one of the yes votes there. But I didn't make any insinuations about them. But he did tell me – was that off the record, Chris? I can't remember. <laughs> but he did text me and tell me that there were some people who were alleging that there was some – Money or gifts changing hands regarding that executive committee. I, I can't prove that. And Chris says he's kind of hearing it more secondhand. But there might have been some undue influence on this committee that decided to go ahead and shove the national money Hawley's way even before the primary. But anyway, back to my point. We ultimately, 
in especially in 2020. 2018 is pretty much on its way. The train has left the station. We're going to do well in 2018, and that's going to be fine. Onward to 2020, and we're going to have a local elections. We have to actually start to take our passion to another level, and that is probably a more organized level because these goofballs on the left wing, they are really organized, as MSNBC just pointed out here. And is search, and it says what my closest swing district is, which was California 25. And so this and that's is what where I you're did. standing right now. Yes, it's where I've been standing for the last uh, year or so, coming up here almost every weekend. He's not alone. The website launched the day after the inauguration. By the end of the first weekend, 200,000 people had signed up. Today, it's pushing 400,000. People just waiting for a way to channel their frustration into action. So what they're doing then is they're enlisting into this group and then they're being dispatched to a district that's a swing district and they are then canvassing for Democrats in that swing district, even though they actually don't live How there. How many of you guys are from outside of this district? I mean, everybody's raising their hands in, in this crowd who are outside of the district, but have come into the district, uh, fanned out, and are canvassing. Wow. Keep them up. Keep them up. That's amazing. So in California District 25, in the shadow of the Reagan Library, 200 people went canvassing last Sunday. Were you nervous about knocking on doors the first time? Yes, I was very nervous. <laughs> now they tell me it's cathartic, even addicting. I cannot go away. I cannot because every time I go out and meet another Democrat and they say, thank you so much for coming. I can't wait to vote. Add to that swing left manpower, money. They set up innovative district funds. You donate to a district, not a person, and the eventual primary winner gets the cash. In Cal 25, that's Katie Hill. I mean, that's pretty well organized. And as much as we know it's MSNBC basically doing the bidding of the Democrats, don't overlook this type of organization and and what they're doing here because that's organization right there. And I think we ought to be basically ultimately uh, copy that model because it seems to be a pretty good idea. So what you have are these district funds. And if we pinpoint districts that actually are purple, but we can maybe manufacture a win for a Republican instead of obviously the Democrats doing that, uh, then you donate to these districts and you're not to a person, and whoever wins that primary in the district ultimately gets that money, and that's a pretty, that's a pretty good idea. Because because what happened is she says in California 25, Katie Hill, the minute she won the primary, check this out. Katie, it's my great pleasure to hand over this check from the grassroots. Thank you so much. <laughs> I mean, so she, she received 164. And a half thousand dollars a check the minute she won the primary. That's in a local congressional race. $164,000. That's pretty damn amazing. And again, I don't like it because they're, they're liberal and they're left. But I like it because we can steal it and steal the idea. It's a great idea. And 
I have to tell you, I mean, I'm impressed with the left sometimes when it comes up with these kinds of things. These people are no slouches. I mean, you look at what happened in 2008 with President Obama. I mean, obviously, it was pretty clear that 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 he was on his way to I mean he was running against John McCain for crying out loud and I love McCain I I was I was a supporter of his and Palin and you know I was I was all in on John McCain but there was kind of this sneaking suspicion in the back of our minds like oh gosh this Obama guy he's getting that's why that's why he's getting like you know 25,000 people at a rally and or whatever it happens to be a lot of that has to do with the fact that there's a like U2 is playing but still, you know, you, you, you were seeing the writing on the wall there. It was the same thing we saw with President Trump, which I, which I thought was the coolest thing about the Trump election was the fact that we, we did what the Obama people did. And I realize it really chapped some of these never-Trumper people because it's like, well, it's idol worship. And, you know, we've had celebrity candidates before. We've had the blah, 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 blah before. And so they didn't like this because it was more Obama-esque. But believe me, it worked for Obama. It worked for the left. Look what happened to us. We, have, we, had, we got Obamacare out of all this stuff. One of the most destructive new presidential initiatives we've seen in a long, long time. So, you know, they, they, they took it. And once they got it, they ran with it. And so that worked. The lazy Republicans in the formulation of the Romney, McCain, Ryan, McConnell wing bought us nothing but losses for eight years, 10 if you want to be right down to it, nothing but, but losses. And so we knew that didn't work, although unfortunately it turned out that a lot of the never Trumpers were just fine with losing because they could then sell their books or or promote their sky is falling chicken little radio shows as long as there's a democrat in power you can you can instill fear in everybody and 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 give yourself your the artificial lift that you want on the backs of uh, a hated despised democrats so that's but but that's one of the reasons why and and they just thought they knew better and so we've got to still fight those people, but we definitely need to get into a situation where we are more organized going into uh, 2020. 2018, I think, is already done, and it's going to be a humiliation for Democrats, and so I wouldn't worry about that. But keep in mind, it's only going to get more organized and more crazy from here. Now, I do have to tell you, I'm, I'm confident about 2018, but when I see stories like this on MSNBC, I'm thinking, wow. Uh, watch out. So, so these folks take care of each other. Unfortunately, uh, conservatives and, and, uh, and, 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 uh, some Republicans, uh, don't take care of each other to the degree that we do, uh, that, that Democrats do. And, and, and that's kind of a problem because we, we have too many different fiefdoms. We have too many different people who are uh, kind of working against president. Still don't like the fact that Trump has been elected. Still don't like the fact that the, uh, the, the swamp is being drained. And so they're going to get in our way. 
And and I think you saw that with this executive committee that decided to just simply pretend that Josh Hawley was already the nominee, even though he he isn't the nominee just yet. He might be the nominee, but these people are the same people who were not with us when we were trying to convince people that President Trump was electable, that President Trump could win against Hillary, and it turned out he really was the only one who could beat Hillary. So just keep in mind, I, but I'll put this story. I, I've been promised you guys have been putting these links up on the, the Facebook page. I will do that when I take a break here, and we'll be back with uh, Doug Giles. So take a break here. I'm hoping I'm not going to get kicked off, okay? Let me see. What can I play that it won't get me kicked off really quickly? Let me see. You know, I bet you, I bet you they won't. Uh, I bet you it'll take them a while to pick up on the English beat, you think? I'll trick him. Let's see. From the Discovery Design Studio, Discovery Design, Inc., it's Radio Free Almond. Sound of Skype, see. You know, uh, it's going to be interesting going into the, towards the end of the summer. We're going to have a lot of changes here at Radio Free Almond. One of them will be involving, you know, phone lines and things like that. Keep in mind, only three months old, so we've got a lot of uh, growing we're doing as we monetize, as we grow. I guess I'm going to wait ultimately for I can't I can't figure out what um, Rick and Tracy Ellis are going to do in terms of their announcement of their involvement with me and my involvement with them but eventually I'm going to be part of the Rick and Tracy Ellis real estate operation and it's going to essentially be a situation where I'm going to be a go-between between you and them. And I'm going to refer you to you and them when you have home buying or home selling needs. And that's going to be a way in which we kind of uh, beef up uh, the show's presence and in the community as well. And then it's, I, I think what we'll do is on Monday or Tuesday... Rick and Tracy in and we'll kind of like make a formal announcement regarding that I encourage you too to check out all the people who are currently supporting the show including my friends over at Discovery Design DiscoveryDesignInc.com they're the sponsor to the studio here Rick and Jerry Pogue and the rest of the gang out there and they're just 
building any kind of truck, any kind of fleet you need from the ground up. If you're a hauler, if you're a builder, if you're a roofer, if you're a this or a that, and you need a truck or you need a wrap, you need a Venco hoist, you need a conveyor, whatever it happens to be, trailer, you name it, they get it all taken care of for you at discoverydesigninc.com. Don't forget about my buddies over at Mattress King. This is a very cool... You realize the mattresses they make are full of bamboo. They, they make them with bamboo inside. They're really comfortable. But we'll talk more about that down the line. And then, of course, Santino Cigars and Cocktails, man. I got to tell you, Mike and Shannon, thank you so much for your support of the show. And thank you for what you're doing for us and for this show. And I got to get down there sooner or later. I was going to try to get down there this week, but it's... Uh, it's a great place. Santino Cigars right there on Vogel Road in Arnold. And then, of course, Dr. Deputy's going to have his show airing on the stream uh, this week. And I need to get a time on that. I'll, t- I'll see if I could text him uh, and, and, and get you that info before the end of the show. But if you, if you pay attention to DeputyWellness.com, he'll have all the details for you. And I appreciate the fact that uh, Dr. Deputy is uh, so supportive of this show. Dr. Eric's a great guy. And so... Boom, we're off to the races. Doug Giles is on the way here. Let's see if he'll answer this phone. This doesn't look like it's ringing. Let's say I could... Doug Giles. Doug Giles, it's Jamie Allman. I call the right number. This is it, buddy. Okay, good. I just want to make sure, man. How you doing? Uh, I hadn't finished my first cup of coffee, so I don't really know, man. <laughs> man, I'll tell you, we were uh, talking earlier about the Statue of Liberty climber and her bragging about how she was spoken to by Michelle Obama, that Michelle Obama has been communicating her from the spaceship and essentially told her to go ahead and and pop up there on the Statue of Liberty, ruining everybody's July 4th. Uh, vacation and outing there at the beautiful emblem of freedom and generosity on the part of America. So turns out she's got quite a history too. So yeah. Yeah. Can you imagine, man? Uh, how many kids you got? You got four, right? Five. You got five kids, lovely wife, saving your money, working your butt off, doing radio free almond, going to go up to uh, New York city Go to Freedom Island, check out the Statue of Liberty. You know, you're dropping some coin, you know, unless you're driving, but, you know, or, and staying out of the city. But say you say you flew every one of the kiddos and the wife uh, to New York, going to stay in uh, Manhattan, then you're going to go see the Statue of Liberty. Uh, not that day, because they shut that baby down because that moron, fueled uh, by Michelle Obama, uh, uh, loathing for the United States of America, uh, ruined, ruined the weekend. And, uh, but here's, here's the beautiful part about it, uh, Jamie. I'm kind of glad she did. Because once again, people who are apolitical, uh, who are seeing the, the insane divisiveness in this country that's uh, been spawned uh, by the, the blather on the left, I think they look at that and say, you know what? Uh, I don't know what it means to be a Republican. I'm not down with the blue blazer and the red tie and the, and the khaki pants. Would never wear that. Um, but these people are unhinged. They're crazy. They're lunatics. And uh, I don't want to be that. And so, like I've said before, they turn their happy <clears throat> family bus politically 
center right. And uh, I let let them talk, let them blather, let them threaten uh, uh, Trump's administration and attack them at gas stations and do all that other crap in restaurants. Because the more they do that junk, uh, the more the socialists uh, lose uh, constituents. Yeah, and Doug, you know what? It's, it appears that even some people who would otherwise identify as liberal or Democrats are even looking at some of these people and saying, wow, this is even too much for me. I mean, when the Green Party is kicking a dude out for attacking a 16-year-old with a Make America Great Again hat, when you're too loony for the Green Party, that's really saying something. Yeah, you know, um, <clears throat> I don't know where this this stuff's going to end, man. I can tell you this, that if uh, if, if some little sassy liberal a uh, bartender got up in uh, my kid's grill uh, when they were 16. First of all, they they took uh, Gracie Jiu-Jitsu for years, and uh, they probably would have kicked his ass. Uh, me as a dad, I would have beat him silly. It's, uh, it's, this, it, and here, and, uh, and put that video all on Facebook and stuff, because this is what has got to be shown to these people that it physically attack. You're not going to do that to us. You're not going to come in here, grab our Coke, and then throw it in our face, and we just sit there like nice boys. To me, that's theft. Uh, that's, uh, it, it, he, that's assault. And, uh, you know, old-school dude from Texas like me, uh, punch him in the skull. Yeah. See what happens. Well, it's fairly evident. But you know, but you know what would happen, though, Jamie? You know what would happen? Um, I would get arrested. Uh, I would be paraded, and, uh, and I'd get a dunce cap put on my head and County Orange on my back, and I'd probably... Uh, go through insane litigation of the hate crime that I perpetrated, even though this guy started it all. Yeah. And, you know, I think it's clear that these people, you're seeing more of these incidents because people do believe they are, they are empowered. And in fact, they're even sometimes treated as heroes by the media, whether it be CNN or what have you. And uh, this woman who did the Statue of Liberty thing, she's being treated like she's some kind of hero. And so people now are starting to overplay their hands a little bit and they're getting caught. That guy Jimenez has been fired from his job. The Green Party kicked him out. And then you have a story too, interestingly enough, this is a Clash Daily poll, which is uh, pretty easy to uh, to chime in on at ClashDaily.com, where you talked about these people who showed up at an anti-Trump, anti-Trump immigration policy rally, and they had their kids wearing the these F Trump shirts. And even some liberals online are like going, What's wrong with what's wrong with you? I mean, it's I mean that's that's pretty crazy. Some kids wearing F Trump shirts. No, and, and uh, you know, beautiful little girls, you know, just darling blonde haired, blue eyed uh, little kids standing there and and kind of uh their, you know, Disney kiddo pose outside of this event with a F Trump shirt on. And um <laughs> it it's just using the kids as tools, man. It's just like how they, uh, in the public schools, they try to, you know, overtly sexualize them uh, when, they're, when they're just little rascals. Let them, let them ride their damn bicycle. Let them play with toys. No, we're going to use them as props. We're going to use them as pawns. We're going to use them as tofu for our agenda. And uh, it's a sad day, man. I tell people all the time, you know, uh, if you want to, if you, wanna, uh, <laughs> if you hate your kid, man, send them to public school. Let them get around liberals, send them to feminized churches, and, and uh, give them, you know, 
unfettered access to television, movies, and social media. I love this post on Clash Daily. Uh, Wes wrote it, and this is about the North Korean media. And, man, when you get right down to it, this is so fascinating that you have a North Korean media. I mean, this is like one of our people who, you know, six months ago, their leader was threatening to blow the world up and and hated the U.S. and talked disparagingly about it. Uh, You have the North Korean media now talking more positively about the Trump administration than MSNBC or CNN. Now, obviously, as Wes points out, and you point out too, that that North Korea can change on a dime, and you never know. And this is all kind of you know propaganda. But nonetheless, it's still people a, a sea change of 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 attitude towards the U.S. that we actually haven't seen by our own U.S. media. Yeah, what's wrong with that picture? Here, here's an avowed here's an avowed enemy with a Mo Howard haircut who breathes out uh, threats of nuclear war, and he has nukes. Uh, who's told his um, he's told his uh, effective Rachel Maddow in the in the no co propaganda machine, hey, dial back with the with the Trump animus and uh, stop knocking him and stop knocking America so much. And I don't know if you saw this, but uh, um, uh, Pompeo brought uh, Kim Jong-un uh, a Rocket Man uh, CD from Elton John and uh, pure Trumpism. And it just shows you, you know, a lot of people say, well, that was rude. He shouldn't have done it. Uh, they laughed about it. It just shows you how far we've come with Trump's negotiating diplomatic skills, which everybody said were crap and that he couldn't pull it off. And now they're joking about calling Kim Jong-un Rocket Man. And, and like you said, man, it could change on a dime, uh, but it looks like uh, the weather pattern is getting a lot clearer than it was uh, for the last 65 years. Hey, Doug, what is this link to? Uh, tell me about Keep and Bear, keepandbear.com. Because I actually clicked Yeah, Keep and Bear. Yeah. Yeah, Keep and Bear is um, uh, my, one of my partner's uh, websites, and um, it's a huge e commerce platform, and they have our uh, Drain the Swamp painting. I don't know, have you? Did we talk about this already? Have you seen it? Uh, oh, we did talk about it, but now it's now what's happened is in the painting is just awesome, and you could do that. At, you could find it at the Clash Daily store. But now what you have is this uh, eleven by fourteen limited edition print. But then, if you buy the print, then you're entered to win a full size reproduction of it on canvas, man. Yeah, and it's um. Uh the, the full-size painting I did of Trump draining the swamp, and, and people, they've got to go over to ClashDaily.com or KeepinBear.com uh, and check it out. Uh, it's hilarious. Trump's holding the Constitution. It says, we the people, and he's sticking it out towards the, the, the viewer's face. And underneath him, underneath his foot, is Comey going down this, uh, <laughs> this crap hole and this quagmire inside the beltway. Little Debbie, uh, what the blank Schultz is in front of him going down the vortex. Hillary's behind him. Pelosi's behind her and leading from behind, Jamie, is one Barack Hussein Obama. And they're all getting sucked down into the swamp while judgment clouds are hovering over the Capitol. And old glory is behind uh, Donald on his left uh, and, and still waving, but a little tattered. And uh, that's a 24 by 36 inch painting. And if you, if you buy the print, I think it's like 11 bucks. It's 
funny. No, it's 25 bucks. It's 11 by 14. Funniest crap. We're selling hundreds of these things, approaching thousands, and hadn't even been out a week yet. And um, uh, if you buy it, you're automatically thrown into the kitty uh, to uh, possibly win uh, a clay on canvas. These are archival museum quality uh, pieces that, that you know, I sell on a regular basis for my other artwork. It's beautiful, and it's funny. But I got to warn you, man, don't bring your liberal aunt over who has the mustache, you know, the one I'm talking about. Yeah. If you've got this on the wall, because she will go into a full-on five-alarm hissy fit. It's definitely man cave worthy, that's for sure. And, you know, what's cool about it, too, is it, you know, it really it reminds me, it seems like it's going to be uh, going down kind of in history as a little bit of uh, folk art. You know, I mean, it's, it's going to be something that, like, you know, down the line, your kids are going to really dig. It's, it's, a, it's a little piece of history that has all the, all the kind of usual suspects in it. And, and the one guy who really definitely not only is changing the world, but changing this country. And it's pretty damn cool. Bro, um, I'm doing right now uh, a painting of Melania uh, superimposed on, on an American flag. It's beautiful, man. I had to paint Melania after painting Hillary and Debbie Washerman Schultz and Pelosi. I just had to do it. I, I had so much ugly in my brain and, uh, and it was in the, it was so torturous to, to paint them. I had to go, uh, had to have a, an artistic, uh, break from the swamp painting and, uh, paint, uh, Mrs. Trump. It's a beautiful painting, man. And you know what? Anytime we post anything, uh, on clash daily about Melania Trump, uh, it goes mega viral. People love her. It's just insane. Uh, what she's done for this country and what a difference a first lady makes, man. Boy, I'd say. And you, you have a picture of her from the 4th of July uh, from Independence Day. And that's, that's, it's beautiful, those two together, you know? No, and look, I mean, look at the difference between, uh, you know, whatever that whack job chick was who climbed on the Statue of Liberty and how, you know, supposedly she was fueled by Michelle Obama's animus to do some kind of, you know, stupid ass crap like that. Uh, I guarantee Melania Trump wouldn't be, you know, on the phone or texting or Twitter messaging or Facebook messaging or whatever anybody to do something that ridiculous when she exits the White House because she has this thing called class and she's not a social justice warrior and she doesn't have a Paul Bunyan sized axe to grind uh, like Michelle Obama. And uh, I, you know, the reason I'm doing the Melania painting is this: it's simple. She is making. Uh, or made, or make, I don't know which uh, tense I'll use. She's making America this thing called classy again, and I dig it. Uh, totally. By the way, I see that you have a picture, because I, I know that, I know that, uh, that hunting is a thing uh, for you, and, and you do it a lot, and you do the big game version and, and everything else. Uh, I don't know whether it was on your site or another site where I saw the story of this woman who uh, killed a giraffe. All right, and did you see that story where she where she she went out hunting and she shot a like a what's called a black giraffe? Right, and and, and yeah, it's a- go ahead. And well, and people got all over her about it. And were claiming this was evil and horrible, 
And, it, and she finally had to explain to them really what a black giraffe is and everything, man. I mean, there's so much, there's so much misinformation about whether it be big game hunting or hunting in general. It's crazy. Yeah, the, uh, the, the poor girl, uh, she shot a melanistic uh, bull giraffe, and uh, I shot one of those, too, a beautiful, the, they call them stink bulls up in Zimbabwe. I was hunting in the Matetsi just uh, south of Zambia and, and uh, butted right up against uh, Botswana in Zimbabwe, and um, uh, they get that way through age. It's not like we have a rare you know, black <laughs> know. rhino strand. It's just, you know, it's like you and I, gray, uh, they go black. And uh, it's not, it's, it's so funny the way they pitched it. White hunting girl shoots black giraffe. It's like, really? Yeah. You're trying to make that an African-American giraffe? It's a melanistic bull. It gets those, uh, that coloration uh, through this thing called age. That bull, uh, and people, you know, People don't understand this about giraffes, man, is that they lose their teeth and they get savaged by wild dogs, hyenas, uh, uh, lions, uh, et cetera. And that thing had killed uh, in the the, uh, concession where it was. It had killed three bulls uh, for herd dominance. And uh, he was past his prime. He was 18 years old, and uh, he was toothless. And listen, man, if I'm... Jamie, if you ever come over to my house in Texas, and I'm freaking, you know, completely turned, you know, <laughs> uh, gray to the bone, got no teeth, I'm Henri, and I'm shooting all my buddies and stuff for dominance <laughs> of my neighborhood. You know what? Shoot me. Put my head on the wall. Take me out of my misery. Because the next day is going to be, I'm going to be torn apart by hyenas and wild dogs. My, my, um. <clears throat> There's deer passing through my yard right now as we speak, by the way. Well, uh, that's my giraffe, story. My giraffe, that I, yeah, my giraffe that I took, Jamie, his, when we rolled him over, and uh, they're, they're huge, man. You have, I mean, it's mind-boggling how uh, big these things are. When we rolled him over, <clears throat> his whole underbelly was solid scar tissue where, again, the wild dogs, the hyenas, and uh, the lions had been at him. Uh, for for years, mine was 21 years old. Is what they aged him, and uh, people are like, "What'd you do to me? Did you just throw away the meat?" Hey, morons! Hunters don't throw away meat. You do. Uh, we we either consume it, uh, sell it, or give it away. And and Jamie, I gave away probably 200, uh, or I'm sorry, 2,000, maybe 2,500 pounds of meat. To people who live in the breakfast concession in northwestern Zimbabwe who probably have corn and dung beetles to eat on a daily basis. Wow. And, I mean, we gave away thousands of pounds. Uh, a lot of my licensing uh, costs and um, uh, trespass fees and all those other things that I paid went to uh, roads, schools, infrastructures, and, and we employed on that safari alone, probably 40 people that don't have a Starbucks to get a job at. Right, and, and don't have the means to be able to actually even go out and get that meat themselves either. But by the way, could you... Oh, they can't. They, they can't. They're forbidden to do it because yeah. uh, they utilize that for hunters who bring in this thing called insane amounts of cash to their, 
their economically dilapidated nation called Zimbabwe. So, uh, did do how, how does giraffe meat taste? Uh, <clears throat> yeah, it's, I'm not a fan. I mean, again, that's like with any animal. Um, you want if if you're if you're looking for okay, I want the sweetest, you know, little nugget, the the juiciest little tenderloin or backstrap. You want to shoot. You want to shoot something that's young. You want, you know, a yeah. yearling, a uh, young doe, something like that. You get some old ass, <laughs> you know, stink stink bull, twenty one years old. Yeah, uh, that's you know, uh, full of testosterone and an adrenaline uh, during the mating season. Uh, you better have some uh, some Montreal seasoned salt <laughs> nearby and a lot of hot sauce and you know ketchup and all kinds of crap. Yeah. You need to, you need to, need to find a way to fry that up somehow. Yeah. Yeah. No, I mean, if you can eat a gizzard and chicharronis, you know, you can, but it's protein for them in the bush. And I told this one chick one time, it's like, when's the last time you of your own expense, uh, went and fed and gave away, you know, nearly 3000 pounds of meat you paid for it. Uh, and you gave it for free. Uh, to uh, hungry black people. When's the last time you did that? Oh, you haven't ever done that. Okay, then shut up. Yeah, I know. I mean, it's it's one of those things where people just don't have any concept of what real people do for other real people, and it just confounds them. All right. So, and finally, how do you how are you guys in Texas uh, dealing with? I mean, here in Missouri. We've got Claire McCaskill running for the U.S. Senate, trying to maintain her seat, and she's on this whole trade war rap. Like they're trying to, they're trying to make it out to be that that uh, the Trump trade war or the Trump tariffs are all destroying local economies. Now we did have a nail factory here that was having some issues because of you know the the, the steel tariffs or what have you. But I've been trying to tell people that a lot of what Trump is doing right now is are the deal type of stuff. None of this is going to last. It's the same thing as I said, like with Harley Davidson, you know, Harley Davidson is in business right now because of tariffs. Those were the ones that Reagan imposed. And they're not going to go out of business because of tariffs. And I don't even think they're going to move. I think that was a threat. It was it was an idle threat, which is why they said it's going to be 18 months, because uh, they just want something for something. And all President Trump has wanted, and he pointed this out yesterday in Montana, that we just want a level playing field. We, we're not We're not asking for favors we're not asking for this we just don't want to watch you all tax the crap out of our stuff when we don't do that to you it's pretty easy so how is texas faring are there people kind of making a a big deal out of the tariffs and how they're affecting the economy down there uh not in my neighborhood man i mean this is this is trump central uh if i if i dove deeper into austin oh my god if trump ordered you know red wine with fish or wore white after labor day uh they would be birthing balls of barbed wire uh in right in downtown i tell you about the harley davidson thing that's interesting uh they've got they've got a huge problem on their hands man because the little pussified uh millennials they don't ride harleys man they drive priuses and and their their clientele is aging i mean bro i mean it's like 50 plus right. that that Harley now sells to and those guys are 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 dropping like flies from from years of hard living 
And uh, that's, that's something that Harley, I don't know how they're going to get around that because, again, the little v- deep V-neck, man bun, you know, skinny jean wearing, bangles, Starbucks latte drinking, spider monkey milk uh, latte, they're not buying Harley Davidson. I don't know where you're going to find somebody to, to get on those uh, iron horses and ride them. They're, they're in a, they're, they're in a, yeah. uh, a marketing conundrum, and it's because of the pussification of the American male. Well, yeah, and, and these guys are just popping on their rice rockets, and that's pretty much how, how it's rolling. And, and that's why I think Harley is, making, is, not, is not making many friends in trying to kind of exploit, in my opinion, this uh, tariff issue because, first of all, back in the 80s, Reagan, they might have lit, they might have survived even longer than uh, was essentially in their future, thanks to Ronald Reagan when he went ahead and taxed the crap out of Japanese motorcycle imports. And so that gave them a little bit of a lease on life, but they didn't take advantage of it by creating a new generation of riders and and as you pointed out with the aging riders and so they kind of had a chance they were actually given an artificial injection of life and then didn't take advantage of it and now we're claiming it's all because of tariffs and i think you're right i think a lot of it has to do with just their their sales i mean it's just the way it is uh, I, I sat with a, a guy the other night smoking cigars who uh interfaces with the big dogs at harley and uh he he said they're they're sweating their nutsack because again there is uh, there's there's not a lot of young uh, squabs out there uh, buying their hogs and uh, which is a shame because uh, that's what you and I grew up with you know that's what uh, as teens or I did at least you know I aspired to get one and uh, and the, I ended up getting a Suzuki GS eleven hundred. Uh, <laughs> fastest street production bike on the planet. Right. Bro, I would hit second gear on that motorcycle. You know, back then the Speedo only went to like 85 and stuff. And um, I would be I would be in, uh, in second gear at 85 miles an hour. By the time I went through all the gears and started uh, flying through the city, and uh, when I'd let go of the throttle, it took it about six minutes to pick the needle back up and come down. I have no idea how fast I was going on that bike, but um, uh, this carload of Mexicans switched lanes on top of me one day and uh, sent me into a, uh, uh, what do you call it, a parking lot with parking blocks and moving cars and human beings and uh, scared the bejesus out of me, Jamie. I sold it the next week. Oh, really? I never owned it. Uh, I mean, you couldn't, there was probably 20 clowns in this car. And they couldn't see, and I tried, I could see them not being able to see me. And uh, I wasn't hi- uh, hanging in a blind spot, and I tried to get uh, around them, and here they came right on top of me as soon as I uh, uh, rolled the throttle back and tried to go for it. And uh, luckily, you know, I had escape on my right, and, um, but I was bobbing and weaving, and by the time I had that thing at a full stop, uh, I had a come-to-Jesus moment, like I'd rather live and have the wind blow through my hair, you know? Yeah, I, that's the worst thing about motorcycle riding is that, that, that people in cars just don't uh, just don't seemingly give a rip sometimes. It's, say, you, it's like when you talk to truckers, you know, and people think that, uh, that the guys who drive these semis are, you know, the, the, the 
worst bullies on the planet, whatever. But you talk to a trucker, and and they'll tell you story after story about how the idiot things they've seen people in cars do on the highway. And 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 the guys are like, "What? Well, do you realize how much it takes for us to stop quickly?" Uh, yeah. So yeah, it's kind of one of those things. Yeah. All right, brother. Yeah, no, it's um, uh, Harley. You know, God bless you, man. I know. I hope I, you make it through this. And uh, attacking Trump, uh, uh, listen, Harley riders are, <laughs> are by and large, you know, 99% Trump supporters, I'm a guessing. And uh, I don't know if that's a good move, man. Yeah. And, you know, Harley did try to adjust a little bit because they have, they have a couple of really cool street bikes, but they just haven't been able to get that uh, really in the mainstream. So, uh, Well, if they, if, they, if they make one that's pink and has uh, training wheels and, and, like, fringe that comes off the handlebar grips, then maybe the pussified millennial males in the digi uh, generation will, will ride one. I've seen Put a, a co- rainbow gas ta- rainbow gas tank. That'd be awesome. Yeah, I've I've seen a couple of those. Uh, have you seen those open air? I don't know what they are. They're like three wheel. Uh, I don't know what these things are. They're, they're they're they look like a car. I mean, they have a steering wheel. But yeah, but I think- the, the two wheels up front and one in the back, right? Yeah. Yeah, I think it was. I, I don't know whether it's one in the front and two in the back. I, I don't know, but it's one of the. I've seen them out there, and they they look pretty cool. But people are driving them around like they're actually regular cars. It kind of looks crazy. Yeah, I think they're called little can ams or something like that. Right I mean, you know, if if that's what you're after, put a fourth wheel on it. <laughs> I mean, what's the difference? Get a convertible, man. Get your Jeep. Take the top off. Yeah. You know? The right. thing about your Jeep is that you get all the you get all the feel. Uh, uh, if you get some headers on that, you get the you know to resonate like a Harley. You get the wind in your hair. Get one that's noisy and stuff. Jack it up about you know six inch kit on it. Put some thirty six inch Mickey T's, and uh, uh, you know put a brush guard on it. And uh, you get the wind through your hair. And if you have to you know plow through zombies during an apocalypse. Uh, blow out, then you can crush them in the Jeep and, and, you know, take your family to safe haven. You know what I did, Doug, speaking of that, since you've been in the Jeep before, you know, it, I took my Malibu in. It was because I took my Malibu in for an oil change and I had to get a sunroof thing done on it. And so I took my Malibu in and that's what Dave Sinclair gave me to drive is this, is the Rubicon that you and I had so much fun in. Well, I, Never went back to get my Malibu, and now the Jeep is mine. And all I got to do is clean out my Malibu, and I'm saying goodbye to it. I'm driving a Jeep now. Oh, bro, you're a total Jeep guy. You're not a Malibu guy. Yeah. Well, I just left it there on the lot, so all I have to do is go and clean out the trunk, and I'm I'm done. So <laughs> that was it. <laughs> all right. That's a beautiful thing. Yeah, buddy. All right, man. Well, nice talking to you, Doug. Uh, ClashDaily.com is where you find him. And don't forget to go to the Clash Daily store. They've got some really just some absolutely blazing fun stuff there. And appreciate you as always, brother. Right on. Okay, Have a great man. weekend. Stay ready, buddy. You too. Yeah, this is Doug Giles. All right, people. I'm a little over time here, so we're going to go ahead and uh, kick off the theme, brothers and sisters. They don't ever seem to take us off for this. I wonder why that is, Matt. I play this. I play this as my opening theme. They don't turn the Facebook page off. I don't know why they do that. I don't know what the difference is. I'd love to know. There's a, there is a reason for it. I just don't know what it is. 
All right, folks, signing off from the beautiful Discovery Design Studios, discoverydesigninc.com. Rick and Jerry Pogue and the rest of the gang out there who also happen to be the proprietors of Arrowhead Building Supply. Thanks a ton, you guys. Have a good weekend, everybody. Talk to you on Monday, RadioFreeAlmond.com. See you at Santini's Cigars and Cocktails, maybe, over the weekend, huh? Check it out there on Vogel Road. SantiniCigars.com on the web, too. Have a good one, everybody.